0: Log Talk Radio. <laughs> Africa,
1: Africa. 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 the center of the world. The world. The world. The world. Latitude zero, longitude zero. Africa. Planned Africa. by the Creator. Sazanthropus was the first man Africa. found on the Earth. Africa. That Earth.
4: So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings
6: We are do wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Because we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls. That everyone can wear. That everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and
3: on. And how do we be? We are Africa on the move. As Brother Africa, we welcome you again to another exciting episode of Africa on the Moon as we set in the seat and take the heat. We're going to define it and stand behind it. Today, our theme will be black power in the midst of coalition. That's right, black power in the midst of coalition. We'd like to have this important discussion with you today, and you can do that by calling in at 323 hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So right now, what we're going to do, like always, we will introduce to you our political panelists, analysts for today's party. So uh, let's get started with this party by bringing in Brother Haki and welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki.
7: Uh, <clears throat> Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Mamaki uh Currently on with African Awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is institution building. But one of the things I think is important that we that we uh, have an adequate understanding of is the question of growth. There's an old saying, you know, um, less less is better. In the context of capitalism, certainly less capitalism is better for the world. And so there's a popular concept called degrowth, which is uh, gaining some um, notoriety around the world in terms of importance in terms of, you know, saving humanity. But having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this, this piece out. Now, the necessity of degrowth or the elimination of capitalism pursuant to the longevity of the planet is a goal firmly in line with humanity's interest. Degrowth, defined by progressive economists, is the planned reduction of resources and energy of high income states that improve social outcomes. In Jason Hickel's book, Less is More, he makes the case by reprioritizing the global economy, many of the pressing ills confronting the planet and life itself could be averted by reevaluating capitalism's underlying values that makes ecological destruction, climate change, and object poverty such commonplace. Such outcomes are the results of an economic system that elevates the interest of capital over humanity itself. Inevitably, when the pursuit of wealth accumulation is valued more than life itself, what emerges is a system in which relatively small group emerges using their wealth to gain the system more wealth. Another way to look at this phenomenon is to understand it in the context of privatization. Privatization empowers a small group of wealthy individuals to exert control over society well in excess of their numbers. The control by wealth is then facilitated by a political system that ensures institutions provide the means in which wealth's power and control is solidified. The maximization of wealth control is best achieved by affirming in the minds of the populace their dependency on the wealth. Is assured and if any doubts exist the creation of economic policy that reinforces that dependency in the case of capitalism the very means of survival for the populace is made clear by control the most rudimentary elements in society for example land which is vital to crop cultivation certainly feeding of the poor and wealth creation has been systematically taken away from a million small farmers since 1980s statistically even more daunting is the loss of African farmland totaling 14 million acres in the early 20th century, only to see 90% of all African farmland taken away by government sanctioned schemes in the 21st century by loan denials and arbitrarily inflating the value of African land to render the Afri- land affordable to- for African people. The machinations did not end there. Government policy of printing money and giving it to the wealthy exponentially created unlimited opportunity to acquire even more assets for the rich. In particular, the purchase of residential houses and apartments saw rents, Skyrocketing, without regard to wages or inflation, while the level of homelessness in the U.S. increased by a ratio of 17 to 1,000. For every 1,000 people people in the United States, 17 are homeless. The country, which proclaims itself the most economically prosperous, the presence of homelessness in the U.S. seems a testament just how little human life is valued relative to the pursuit of capital. As I stated before, D. Grove seeks to reimagine economics in the way resources and energy of high-income countries are prioritized to improve social outcomes, i.e. inequality and homelessness. The notion of degrowth may be perplexing for some who believe growth is a necessary prerequisite for the attainment of full-sheltered education. However, the reality is growth as a concept is really a word that conceals the motivations behind capitalism. Growth seeks to obscure the excesses and destructiveness of capitalist power and its propensity to impose draconian policy, both economically and politically, resulted in sanctioned destruction of both life and planet. Growth empowers capitalists to engage in endless exploitation of the planet without regard to the harm inflicted or with a disastrous impact on life. It has been noted the needs of humans, be it food, shelter, education, are not what motivates growth. Growth sees human need as esoteric. Only time value of human life exists is when people are seen as consumers. Now this growth is a word used to make people think growth is inherently good. This is truly erroneous. U.S. GDP is product, gross domestic product. Statistics often proclaim growth, but yet poverty rates, unemployment, and homelessness continues to upward climb. Obviously, the correlation between growth and positive social outcomes does not exist. Big growth recognizes in the case of GDP, production of commodities for sale does not translate into the creation of a better world nor a path to save the planet. Implicit in degrowth is the spirit of universal cooperation among nations, rejection of imperialist practices, and economic understanding of markets without a capitalist orientation are beginning steps. These measures must be augmented by mass organizations that deeply understand the sacrifices that must be implemented to bring degrowth into existence. Now, thinking that capitalists will relinquish control and power for the good of humanity is magical thinking. Everywhere, the perils confronting life are on display. Despite these revelations, practices and policies that threaten life on the planet continue to be utilized by economic elites. In fact, the National Intelligence Council's four-year assessment concluded climate change will worsen, unleashing many of the purported 100, 1.7 million viruses on the planet and the spread of famine beyond the global south. Judging by COP26 climate meeting, the National Intelligence Council assessments were not taken seriously. Ironically, the COP26 meeting and the Paris Climate Accords held in 2015, recommendations did not vary much. Both maintain global warming should not exceed 2 degrees Celsius, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius. According to the Climate Action Tracker Annual Report released by environmental research organizations, for carbon emissions to, decrease, to be decreased effectively, meeting the global warming target of 1.5 degrees Celsius, emissions must be cut by 45, 45%, 45% now not the 15 to 17 percent that COP26 proposes by the year 2030. Juxtapose both the Climate Accords and COP26 both disregarded the $6 trillion in subsidies for fossil fuels suggests honestly combating climate change is not a real consideration. In other words, the will of the wealthy takes precedent over the needs of humanity while, the, while capital prevails. True to capitalist strategizing, the minor oversight of ending funding for fossil fuel companies is accompanied by a more profound strategy that impacts people on a more visceral level. Employing what Henry Kissinger, former Secretary of State, called constructive ambiguity, the objective is to utilize conceptual management to obscure reality, providing legitimacy for wealth's refusal to fight global warming. Recently, the School of Life movement has been receiving unprecedented media coverage. It's found to advocate embracing human suffering as a birthright that any bright moment along the way would be enjoyed considerably more. The supposition he employs suggests oppression of others to gain materially should never be of concern to the oppressed. Accept your oppression and you will be, will, will be all the more happier. Like Ayn Rand's objectivism, objectivism, he seeks to eliminate guilt that comes with compassion by destroying human consciousness. It's ironic. Subverting human consciousness is precisely what capitalism seeks economic growth delivers. And I told you that, Brother Africa.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to bring in Brother Anthony, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony.
8: Africa, revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow Brother panelists Anthony. and the listening audience. Uh Thank you for having me, uh, for, and uh, revolutionary greetings to you, the listening audience, and the fellow panelists. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the Total Liberation and Unification of Africa Under Scientific Socialism.
3: Fine, Brother Anthony. Now i gonna bring in Brother Moses Brother Moses. welcome to Africa on the move, Brother Moses.
5: Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, nineteen sixty eight. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that mouth, say, tongue, is its messenger for government. Fathers, help your children, and we don't reverse, correct verdicts. Brother Africa, I'm pro-choice, and I vote. Um, I hope I hope to understand that women hold hold up half the sky, and therefore I'm pro equal rights amendment (ERA). Yes, and um, the basic struggle is is to Unite the many to defeat the few, and uh the lies and distortions of the few the one percent and the twenty percent um cannot outweigh the interest of the vast majority of the toiling masses and i I just like to say thank you for allowing me to be on the show
3: All right, thank you, Brother Mosley. This is Africa the move, and I think tonight is black Power and the of coalition. Also, we have with us a special guest that will be on shortly, uh, Lynetta Thompson, our theme tonight from Incarceration and Liberation. We're going to talk about the work that she's doing as a sister in the movement and how she's helping to invest our people. So what we're going to do right now, if you're my boy, you call in and you're a participant, please hit one so I can acknowledge your last four numbers. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls, take a quick station break. Listen to some music liberation when we come back. We will have a discussion on what's going on in your world community. And shortly we should have Sister Thompson hopefully with us. She'll be on our board and we can continue to move forward with this program. This is Africa on the Move.
9: Portland, and if you come from West Moline, you're an
1: African,
9: so don't care where you come from, as long as you're a black man, you're an African, no mind your national
10: Pour avec de, Africa, le Congo, oh, 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 bah, de
1: dans le la volonté, le père.
10: Je dis pas, nous frappons mes au bon, au bon, au bon, au bon, au bon,
1: au Afrique,
10: le Congo, de dans l'unité, dans l'amour, la volonté, le
1: sacrifice,
10: l'amour, la volonté et le sacrifice pour le changement du Congo. Congolais pour un Madame Patricia Lequa, servant, Banaya Kondo Turigana, Sadana,
1: Africa, D, D S, Congolais, Dunati.
10: We'd like to welcome you
3: back to Africa and good is host, by Africa. We're gonna be discussing tonight the theme, Black Power and the Myth of the Coalition. But before we get to the discussion, we have another panelist who has just joined us and then followed by our welcoming for Sister Eleanor. We will introduce our special guest today, Sister Lynette Thompson, shortly. So right quickly, Sister Eleanor, we're gonna bring you in, introduce yourself and then we're gonna to go to our special guest as we talk about the work that Sister Thompson is doing in our community. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Moon.
4: Thank you, Brother Africa, and good evening to the panelists, our guests, and all our listening audience. Um, Look forward to this evening's show. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, look forward to uh, the exciting news of the work our guests are doing. Thank you so much, Brother Africa.
3: Uh, Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And right now, we'd like to bring in our special guest for this first segment. If you talk about What's going on in our world and the community? We're gonna bring in our special guest, Lynette Thompson. She's a sister involved in the movement to help move our people from informal. We're gonna bring her in, actually, to briefly introduce herself and talk about some of the works that she is doing in this community. We label this particular segment from incarceration to liberation because that's the type of work that our sister is doing. So right now, we're gonna let Sister Thompson come in right now and welcome. Sister Thompson to Africa on the Move and we ask Sister Thompson to just be for share with our listening audience. Who is Sister Lena Lynette Thompson? Sister Thompson, welcome to Africa on the Move.
11: Thank you so much, um, Brother African. <laughs> I appreciate that. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 a pleasure to be um a part of this, this evening and um and I'm really privilege and honor that you would um ask you know me to just share and and that's 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 really what it's about um but um i'm the founder of um a transitional center murray g brown transitional center for women women coming out of the system and um also just as a referral for women men anyone that's um you know that's that's coming home or have any type of um you know situation with loved ones that's incarcerated because we know that you know we are our own support system, and so you know anytime I'm able to assist in that way um that's what we do and I'm also a member or a co-founder of Community Unity in action, which is a a coalition of um different organizations to just do you know work in our community right now is around um the food desert. We um have gardens um in some of the um like a um Maggie L. Walker school and over in um, um not Hillside, um Jackson War. Um we have um, a food garden over in Gibbon Court. And also I have um a gallery, a small gallery down at the Supreme Flea Market called men's gallery, uh where I Used to have a a um used to do imports and exports about fifteen years ago. So I have a lot of different African artifacts from Ghana. I have masks and different statues, and I also have um, artwork from Jamaica. We um, have some people there that actually do the work, and and you know just to, and we we um, sell some of that in in Lynn's Gallery. But Lynn's Gallery is really a spinoff for uh, Murray G. Brown because in there we have uh, the Wall of Redemption, which is inmates' art. That's really my passion. Where before, um, before the pandemic, we collected art from the brothers and the sisters that's inside the um, institution to just be able to um, display our work to create um, revenue. For them and exposure again you know and that was building with the family of them to to create you know because uh, again we are so skillful and even though you are incarcerated you are not just sitting there I mean a lot of times your skills come to life and we have some brilliant brothers and sisters you know behind these walls so uh, within the gallery we have the wall of redemption where we you know we we um, display that work and what we'll be doing now that you know the pandemic is is easing up some we want to be able to get back into the institutions so that um copy their work and and sell it for them so and lastly i'm the past president of the richmond naacp branch i did that for two years and i um, also was the state advisor for the youth and college division for um the NAACP which was the most rewarding because working with our young people, working with our colleges, um, you know, that's the real impact. You know, a lot of times we as the elders we say we want our young people to get involved and then when they get involved, we don't use them. We don't use our expertise. We don't really listen to them. And that's what I found, you know, was really disheartening because our young people, you know, they they have the answers because you know they a lot of them got it from their from us okay so um that was really rewarding but right now <laughs> my role i'm more of a caregiver i'm taking care of my mom um she's 889, 89 and my brother um right now that's been taking up a lot of my time because family is important as well as some of the things that i'm doing down at the um with lynn's gallery but what i wanted to talk about tonight and and get us more introduced to and the direction that we're moving in i um, also work with the prison justice network um which is um we have a um this year we these having our fifth annual rally now again um so i really want us to save the date of of january the 22nd um at the Capitol. we usually have the rally there where and the prison justice network is an organization that that's prison led and um the leaders in the community is the defenders. They actually lead these rallies um each year. Last year we because of the pandemic um we actually did a car drive through the through the community. But the purpose we advocate on behalf of those who's incarcerated and the families of those who's incarcerated and we take this message um to the General Assembly. Um it's a coalition of organizations that work around bills, you know, to we focus on bills that we take to the General Assembly to to get passed or again to be working on. And um one of the main ones that we was working towards was the restoration of rights for returning citizens, which for real, is really close to my heart because, again, under McCarlin, it started with McDonald's, but under McCallin, um, we he actually restored over 180,000 um, returned to citizens their right to vote. And under McDonald, which that has continued, he has restored over 80,000 80, um, offenders and so with that 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 is a base now that they can vote okay now that they have the right to vote the work is about making sure or getting out here to to get them registered to vote because within many of them or many of the people And and let me just back up and say whether that have had any contact with the criminal justice system, whether they have been incarcerated or whether they have plea bargained um, their, you know, their case, has um, had their civil rights taken from them. And now in Virginia, you have, whether you owe a restitution, whether you owe a fine, you can now register. But many don't realize that they have to register, okay, but their rights are restored, but they have to register in order to vote that's That's the point I wanted to make. And what I'm finding out and what has happened and what is happening, is not enough um media, not enough attention letting individuals know that you can register to have the option of being able to vote and um And I think that's where to work at. That's where to work at, and that's what you know. We are really working to to bring the light, to um, get more uh, PR around that. Because just that, just these the the community come in contact with this system, and does not exercise that right. We are not using the power that we have right in our hands. That's right here in our hand, starting where we are in in Virginia. And um, that's where a lot of the, you know, hopefully in moving forward, we, the community, the Black community especially, you know, can, you know, build on what I consider that should be our grassroots, bottom-up movement, because the system was not designed for us anyway. All right, it was not designed for us to have justice, but because of our tenacity because of of our fight we we win in any system system in any situation that we really push forward in so the system i believe in the time in which we are operating now especially within you know the criminal justice system we need to mobilize from where we are and use this political power of the of voting of our organizing and our mobilizing that vote to be able to create that power to even create our own movement to create um even even our own party or speak about a party that represents our interests and that's that's where a lot of the push is um right now and i just think that, that 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 is that should be our grassroots conversation as to what is in our hand what do we have right now that we have control of that will actually move our situation politically because if we don't become a part of these tables that's making decisions for how we We live how we operate in the state of Virginia because um, we're gonna continue to be locked out. And uh, one of the examples I wanted to use is um, one of the, uh, we have, I think it's been over, I know within the last four years, we have had several hundred. Returning no thousands of of um of ladies and gentlemen that have come home from being incarcerated, but many of them are not registered to vote; they have their right to vote, so these are the individuals that we have to mobilize because these are the individuals that we need to be taking ownership of these tables um we need to be we need to be running for office like I'm not sure if you uh, one of the candidates that I know ran earlier this year was a returning citizen. His name um is Richard Walker. He was running in the um the seventy first district. He was running against uh Mr. Jeff Bowen, and that district represents more Metro Richmond, um Chaco Bottom, Churchill. But this brother has been incarcerated. This brother um, has a non profit called Bridging the Gap and he knows the knows our fight. He's been a part of it. And um and he only lost really I think he got maybe a third of the vote, but I'm saying if we or if we wrap our attention, wrap ourselves around the people that we put in office to hold and that way we are holding them accountable to hold um, the others in that room accountable because by us not being at the table in the room, we are the, we are part of that menu, and when you don't have a say, then things are being said and done for you or to you. More in our situation to us, so I, the, the push is to mobilize us. Anyone that's been in contact with the the criminal justice system is a candidate for our liberation is out for our change because that's what it's about we got to take ownership of where we want to be but we are still playing it in their game it, we are still playing it in their arena so the vote is important because that's the first thing they took from us and they take from you when you get incarcerated but now in virginia we got we have that back but we have to be the push to to get that you know to mobilize that community our community and and that's really where I'm at. I feel like I'm rambling cuz I'm saying the same thing over and over but um it's so I'm so passionate about it because I can visually see it. And um and I know that um you know if nothing else that's one thing that I know in our community we have had many con- we have had contact with so mm-hmm. that's something that we can organize around because how many of in our community, have not come in contact with the criminal justice system in some way, and I don't mean being incarcerated, because five, up to about five years ago, any selling, any you know, selling any, yeah, felony was only two hundred dollars. That was the threshold for a felony in Virginia, two hundred dollars, and many of our people pleaded um, to not go to jail, but they had their rights taken away from them. So our base is big, it's broad, but we got to be the one to mobilize it and organize it. I'm going to stop there because <laughs> I know no problem. I'm just,
3: Okay, Sister Thompson. Um, one of the things you said earlier, I just want to make sure if I heard you clearly. For brothers and sisters who are may not may be incarcerated when they come out, you're saying they can automatically just register. There are no other difficulties that would keep them other than just
11: other that's than right. just doing it. In Virginia, right now, yes, you don't have to pay any restitution. You don't have to pay any fines. You just need to go and register. That's what um, Norden, um, Governor Norden, has um, implemented, and that's why it's it's so it's so powerful, and we must take advantage of it.
3: Okay. So sister Thompson, sister Thompson I just really would like to remind you that your listening audience, uh, maybe an international audience so when you talk about places and names, okay. make sure make sure you um articulate the location, the state that you're talking about. Okay. Oh, now what we're, yes. right ne- what we're gonna do right now what we could do right now, sister Thompson I have some panelists who might have some comments or questions that they would like maybe maybe address you about your work, the work with the brothers and sisters who um, have been incarcerated and coming out of these concentration camps. Uh, we'll start off right now with Brother Haki and bring him in. Brother Haki, any questions? question, or comment yes, To Sister Com- Compton?
7: Yeah, first of all, I want to, you know, uh, congratulate the sister, you know, for her diligence in terms of trying to bring about some kind of resolve with respect to this question in terms of one's right to vote. Certainly, you know, uh, if that's going to give the person a perception of actually being restored into you know, society, uh, I don't, that's not a bad thing at all from a philosophical point of view. But I do have a more, a more, uh, a more tactical question, and I hope the sister bear with me. Uh, but if you have any, any uncertainty as to what I'm raising, I, I would appreciate some kind of feedback. But anyway, my question is to the sister. Now, one of the things that the sister was talking about in terms of actually being in the room in terms of you know, setting policy. Uh, one of the things that's very, very interesting is that, you know, we, we have a system in place. And so one of the problems is that, you know, uh, outside of that system, we have a, we have vested interests of very powerful people, of very powerful corporations who work in their own best interests. And so my question to the sister is that, how, as, from a political point of view, how would you go about combating those powerful interests uh, that uh, are in direct contrast to what you're trying to achieve?
11: You said, "How would I go about?" In how, uh, I'm sorry. How would you? How would you? How would you? How would you go about? How would you
7: deal with a situation where you you're working in the context of a system, right? But on the right. outside of that system, you have very powerful interests, and these these people who work outside the system are powerful than the system itself. And so, even though you may have me be able to bring about some results in terms of working in the context of the system, but the much broader kinds of things that you need to be changed uh, are probably not going to be changed simply because it's not in the interest of those vested interests that reside outside of that system. So my question to you is, how do you combat that reality that very, very powerful people don't necessarily agree with the position that you take or the things that your organization advocate?
11: Actually... Right. We we fight that every day. I mean, you're right, because the system is not designed for us to win or for any justice to actually, you know, be taking place. So that's why, I mean, that's why I'm saying, brother, once as we unite, as we become, you know, more unified in our understanding that this fight is something that we have to organize from the bottom, the only way that they're going to do what they're going to do is through numbers. Okay, because you're right, you know, even the people that look like us don't necessarily have our interests. But but because we, we are operating in what I consider an unjust system, and the system is so rooted and so well-oiled that when when we do get at the table, when we, we are there, we have to force them. Accountability is, is, is the key um, because, you know, because in in owning black businesses and and um us exchanging working with each other, because the key is not what they're going to do; it's about that economic power. What we'll do, and see when we are working together, we 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 see that we we know that. But it's it's it, it has to be from us. N- you know, make it you know uniting because the stronger we are they they're gonna to come to us because that's what i mean these people only understand power, money, and pressure i mean that's it you know they anything that has been done has been done because it was forced on them, even now and i mean that that's my response to that um it's, but we have to be in there, you know, we have to be in there and, and we have to make sure when we have to create our own and then we have to operate it and we have to hold us accountable. That's the other part of, you know, getting what you want. They don't give it to us, but we are a part of the system because we built it and because we, we are ingrained, but we have to be conscious and we have to be intentional.
7: We want to find a follow-up question, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, now, one of the things is that what you're saying presupposes that powerful individuals, particularly when you talk about in the business world, when you talk about corporate heads and those kind of individuals who shape policy. So what you're alluding to is the fact that that the potential for them to to participate, you know, in these kind of discussions that are so vital to the community are possible if in, fact, if, if in fact we had adequate numbers of people to compel them to actually do that, so my question is to you: is that do you do you really think that uh, the people with, with the, or, who have vested interests uh, are going to actually avail themselves of the opportunity to actually sit down and engage in discourse around the needs, you know, of the community? And the second question, sister, is that do do you, do you give me the profitability in terms of incarceration? Which you can see that there's a powerful incentive for people in positions of power to continue to to continue the system simply because it's so
11: profitable. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, for real, I think it's about cultural identity. Um, because see, for real, the more we know about who we are, the more we take ownership. You know, that that yeah, I, I think I, I think I think it's all about us. I really do. I think I think all of it is about us because again, you know, and I say that because we are wealth. I mean, I, look at the money that we generate and we spread throughout the, the world. Okay. I mean, as you say, our net worth just net worth and giving away it's trillions. So when we, as we know more about, when I say, well, not as we take on ownership about who we are, because I mean, even like right, right now, I mean, I, I just think we have to change the way we talk and the way we talk to each other. And, and, we, and, 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 it, and it starts locally. See, everything starts, in my opinion, locally. And everything I'm talking about tonight, I'm talking about for Virginia, okay, because I said it's, we have to work with what's in our hands. And change comes when we are, when you are changing. Just like right now, you know, this is the holiday season. I know I'm kind of going off a little bit, but this is the holiday season, and right now all you're hearing people saying is Merry Christmas and, you know, whatever, whatever, okay? And I'm saying that to say that, you know, what we promote is is Happy Kwanzaa. You can say Merry Christmas and you say Happy Kwanzaa. The reason I say Happy Kwanzaa because when we start talking about things that is relevant to us, and, and create and, and bring out our identity. They say, "Well, what is Kwanzaa about? You know, Kwanzaa is about is about principles, right? And of course, it starts from sep- to September to, de- to to January. But in the same way, Christmas is ju I mean, December the twenty fifth. But people are talking about it every day. We have to talk about our principles up to then. You see what I'm saying? We have to as you know, everything around me, everything down in my gut is happy Kwanzaa. Well, Kwanzaa is not until September the 26th. No, Kwanzaa is right now because Kwanzaa is about, you know, self-determination. Kwanzaa is about, you know, um, unifying. Kwanzaa is about, you know, living in your purpose. So I'm saying when we start changing the conversation, as we get in these rooms and we are talking about our interests, it makes a difference. Because, I mean, they operate, I mean, even the people of influence, they operate from our culture. Everything you see around you is black culture. And I'm saying black in that, you know, I'm very, very biased about that because, cause, you know, we we are um, the foundation for everything, and you know, in this country. But I'm but digressing, coming back to, you know, trying to answer your question, Um I I just I just believe that, you know, it starts with us and we we can make that difference if we we just do things differently.
3: Okay, let's go to our uh, next panelist. Brother Anthony. Brother After. question or comment please.
8: Yes. Um I uh let's see uh, what uh what type of activities is your organization in, engaged in to help um uh, for, uh former inmates make that adjustment uh from uh uh life in prison to uh you know to life outside of prison and uh you know there is an adjustment involved, and uh, a lot of times, um, uh, you know, there's little give, uh, you know, little help given into, uh, you know, to people that have been imprisoned, uh, such as uh, literacy programs, if literacy is a problem, training or whatever, and um, you know, I was uh, curious as to uh, 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 how do you uh, help uh, imprisoned uh, people in that what fashion?
11: Well, just for what you
8: you shared, okay, depending on
11: what their need is coming home, because um, also in working with um, them in reentry coming home, a lot of times we are connected through probation, parole, you know, in terms of housing, finding housing, as well as, you know, the type of services that they need for looking for jobs. Of course, you know, working with temp agencies as well and making sure that their resumes, uh, you know, um, are well-written. And then we do closed closets, you know, for clothing so that they can dress, as we say, dress to impress um, on a lot of these job sites. And then we uh, work towards them being independent because that's, That's the other key, and, you know, so working with, you know, housing and and then working with our our city, the city government as well, you know, uh, because many times the way that the law reads is, you know, they can't live in different housing and stuff. But in terms of what we do um, is try to be be that referral and hire people for different um, things in the community that we have access to. Because one of the things right now, I mean, we have returning citizen working for us, you know, with us right now. Okay,
3: Thank let's you. go to brother. Brother, brother Moses, your comment question. We're going to brother Moses, your comment or question, brother Moses.
6: Yeah, I. I
5: think you're doing great work um um, um from what i from what i'm hearing i mean uh, certainly the the returning citizens need their rights restored and that's good um um i think you know like um consciousness about about the, the independent um black interest interest in uh and uh struggling for our independent uh mm-hmm. uh agenda that's good and uh, I just think it's all around good uh um, now I'll I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours.
4: Well, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um Thank you so much for the work you're doing. And thank you for your concerning voter rights and reentry. And something that you're doing, and it's very important, the way we change the world and empower ourselves is by taking action where we stand, political action where we stand. So I I, I think it's fantastic work. And did you say you had a literacy program? for a persons re-entering?
11: that's part of our program yes to um help them with you know reading and resumes or any you know anything that that um you know that they may need you know that's the thing you mm-hmm. know people we like to do a cookie cut like every, this is for everybody but we work with them independently you know so yeah and I, i'm tell you it is some it's in some of the institutions, there are some really good programs in that they um, have to get a GED. You know, so they 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 come out with a GED, and so we're able to build on that. Even like you, and now. Under some of the administrations, we you know they can um, go go to school. J. Sargent Reynolds has a program. VCU is offering a program. So that's what I'm saying. We trying to work locally. What is it that we have right here, you know,
4: that makes that difference? And that yeah, Virginia, I have a question. I'm in Washington D.C. the District of Columbia, and one of the problems. That residents um, at, uh, in in returning is finding a place to live in the district um, with gentrification and the displacement of hundreds of thousands of black families. Reentry has become a problem. Housing. Yes. Is that an issue yes. in Richmond, Virginia? Yes. <laughs>
11: Housing is a is a problem in Richmond, whether you incarcerate incarcerated or not. It's unfortunate. Um, like you said, gentrification has taken the city, and they um, are just, you know, making the, the cost of living, you know, to even rent a location. I can only imagine D.C. because um, that was high before. But, yeah, just, you know, trying to find a place that, um is reasonable and and safe. You know what I'm saying? Um yeah, that's a problem here too. So, you know, we work that that's why the halfway houses or, you know, houses are important as well as we work into with the families of some of the individuals so that they can, you know, go back to their family homes because then, you know, like in public housing, you're not supposed you have been convicted of a felony, you quote, are not supposed to live in certain housing. So we have gotten some waivers and things around that as well. So that's what I'm saying. We have to work individually sometimes with, you know, with the individuals because it's not a cookie cut for everybody. And then as you probably are experiencing as well, mental health, you know, now that it's not, quote, so taboo um, because, you know, a lot of it is trauma um, inflicted. And um, you know, you, you, they still need to have treatment, or just you know, in in therapy, and just coming back to adjust because you just think once you let them out, everything is okay, and we know that, that it
4: doesn't operate like that.
11: Uh, I that's
4: think the, that's very true because, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. A, I was just no, going to say that. Uh, The issue concerning behavioral health or mental health is a major issue because so often they medicate our children, they medicate so many people, but real therapy isn't offered. People can go through their whole life being medicated without any real constructive therapy to change their lives. And uh, has that changed? Uh, now, are there wraparound services available to persons upon reentry?
11: Well, that's the fight. <laughs> that's the fight, and and I'm going to say yes and and no. It's yes in that individually, you know, we're able to advocate, you know, that because it's it's now acceptable. Is you can say mental health, you can and you can, you know. You know, go to social services. In fact, um, it's a program that I don't have all the information, so I'm not going to get really detailed. But because you have been incarcerated, especially for so long, and depending on, you know, like you say, your your mental health status and and your record, you you can get um, uh, what is it um disability. Disability, you know, um. From being. In, because you've been incarcerated. So we have had some success with individuals receiving a check every month and of course um SNAP, which is food. And um and it's and, and they are taking it and helping. They're not just taking it as money given to them. They are taking it knowing that this is um a support to helping them, you know, get housing and, and become independent. So that's a plus. That needs to be expanded, and those are the type of things that when we are advocating um, for bills that's what we're advocating for and and that's why it's so important for the the people that's affected and has been affected to be the people that you know voting their interests so that we would create the power we need to 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 make these things come to pass because again, we can get out here and rally, we can get out here and do that, but if we don't change the laws then as you can see we we really are spinning our wheels and it just keeps happening.
4: That's so true. that's where I think voting comes into play. You exactly. Now, um you've seen you've seen thirty states uh take action to pass voter uh restriction laws and right. uh taking laws against women's rights uh to control their body laws against uh uh you saw a a, a candidate elected in Virginia talking about not going to teach or use certain material that's not even yes. used in the Virginia education system my question to you I understand. I remember when Monument Avenue, I don't even think an American could possibly buy a house there, but in Fulton. Has Fulton been able to stand united in providing homes for reentry, for uh, returning citizens? And once you register these returning citizens to vote, are they exercising that right and privilege?
11: <clears throat> Some are, okay, in terms of Fulton, it's so gentrified down there? No, that's how they bought it in. That's the other thing. They come in with these, you know, guidelines of what it's supposed to look like when it's finished. But because they drag it out for years, and of course the administrations changed and the neighborhood changed but to answer your question, no. Um, Fulton, it, it's, it's 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 not it has that has not been fulfilled to that degree, okay? Um, it, it, it has not been fulfilled to to that degree. That that I can say now in terms of because yeah the, the 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 cost of living down there you know we talking about four figures for a two bedroom. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, yeah. Um. It's, it's it is. It has become what they call the river city of Richmond, okay, because it's right on the water, okay, right, right close to the water. And they have built up that area so to you, you know, that's what they They price us out. We're priced out of that, even though they would say we have affordable housing, but it's affordable to who? Starting at, you know, income of sixty to $70,000. So. That's why it's so important that you have to be in the room and ask these questions. Because when they're talking about low income, affordable housing, who are they talking about? And then when we come out the room, we find out that they're not talking about an income of thirty thousand dollars or income. You know, that's 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 not what we get. And um, and many of our leaders has not you know represented us as well because. We're still in the same situation in many ways,
4: but you had a now, second Virginia, part to that question go ahead, yeah uh the next
3: question sister Eleanor.
4: It, well this is just a, a, um thank you brother Africa yes, yeah, sister and the question was about uh of course Fulton because that was supposed to be like kind of like the part of Richmond that was uh for African people and uh Richmond and Virginia um had a policy of always trying to find the heirs before uh allowing uh the uh public to buy land or buy property for taxes through taxes is is that being upheld in Richmond because many returning citizens may have been heirs to property but Depending on how long they're gone, they may not have access to it. And the last question, with the legalization of marijuana, are these citizens having their records of sponge?
11: That has not happened in Virginia at all. That's a, that's another part of this fight, okay? Because marijuana is, is legal in Virginia up to a certain quantity, of course, still getting people locked up. That have a certain quantity of, of of marijuana, but you can go to many places and buy, you know. And, and I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's it's that kind of fight. Um, but no, we we it's no. And then, and and that's about the marijuana. But what you was asking about the um, the land, I really don't know. I I cannot answer that. Um. Actually, that was a real interesting question, so that was something I would truly want to inquire because I'm not familiar with that. But they have come through and taken me home. Yes.
3: We can ask you this last question, and we're going to let you... Continue your work. Okay. We never want to stop, young lady, from working for the people, which you've been doing all your life. This is why we're so honored to have you on this program. In terms of the type of resources that you uh, that you may need the most or most valuable in terms of what you're trying to um, do, please you just talk to our people? The kind of resources um, that you would lack to have, and how people could help support you, and how they can get in contact with you? Who, in which they may want to invite you to come to our community, or talk to their church, or speak to their um, study group about the nature of your work, and they want to get involved.
11: Yes, um, through my email, which I can give you my email, which is L Thompson V-A-S-A, as in I'm sorry, Victor Adam Sam Adam at Yahoo.com. So it's L Thompson D A S -S A at yahoo dot com, and um, my number eight zero four nine eight two eight zero seven two. In terms of, um, you know, what type of resources you can use? Um, really, what what we are we are really in need of. Uh, you know really entrepreneurs to help employ some of the the individuals that we are trying to help um of course support financially um, you know to make sure that you know we have the supplies that you know that we try to um to to give out, but mainly you know the networking we are truly you know building our network because it's about, again, economic empowerment for us. So we looking for skilled laborers to help, you know, teach us, teach one to teach another one. But that's pretty much how we are operating right now. Um, Of course, we, you know, do grant donations. But at the same time, it's really manpower that we are looking for. Is
3: there a website somewhere where you can go online to find out more about your organization and the work that you're doing? Um,
11: I can – what is that website? Right now we've been using the um, Facebook, Instagram, of course the social media and displaying most of our things, but, no, I don't have the website right now.
3: So what's the Instagram or Facebook um address where they would write to or look up. Is it a Facebook you? What name do we use? What organization name do we use for Facebook?
11: It'll be it'll be my name, Minetta.
3: Um, okay. Yeah, just my name, yes. Okay. On that note, Ms. Thompson, we'd like to thank you for coming forward and sharing your work and what you do in our community, for our people, and for humanity. And you like many, many of the sisters on the front line, you are very special. We like to thank you for being a freedom fighter that you are. And um if you have any new things that come about, just keep up this mind. We are here for you and we like to share the things that, 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 that are needed for our people and things that you are doing in our community. So again, sisters, we thank you very much for all that you do for our people.
11: Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good night, each one. Thank you so much. All right,
3: bye-bye. All right, thank you. All right, sisters and brothers, we're listening to Sister Lynetta Thompson. She was just articulating some of the work that she is doing in our community around the question, working with brothers and sisters who have been incarcerated and they are trying to assist them to help them get back on their feet. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to continue to move forward, however, by taking a revolutionary culture break. And when we come back, we can ask you that you can join in with us by dialing three two three six seven nine, zero eight four one. 841 hit 1, and you can share with us what's going on in your world and your community. Continue the discussion. This is Africa on the Moon.
6: ever change Thank you. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death has spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon, we'll continue our discussion. And as we left off, as we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We now will bring you back to Brother Haki. He will start us off. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world in the community? Talk to us.
7: Yeah, well, you know, Brother Africa, not to be the dead horse, but i, I got to tell you, i got to sort of uh, revisit this case, this Rittenhouse case. Uh, it seems to me if people are not clear on the implications, you know, of the situation for African people in the society, I think this ruling should be a clear indication of just what's, what lies ahead in terms of very real uh, issues uh, pertaining to our survival in the society. Now in this Rittenhouse case, you know, it's very bizarre. Now don't get me wrong. I I have been privy to cases in which, you know, prosecutions sabotage cases, particularly cases involving police officers. Uh, the prosecutor would sabotage the case by omitting certain information or obfuscating or or, 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 or denying certain information uh, that provides uh some, some some assurances that the person is in fact guilty. So I have been privy to those kind of cases where those kind of things happen. But i got to say, this Rittenhouse case was very, very exceptional in terms of the demeanor of the judge. Uh, you know, uh, clearly, you know, this guy's demeanor was very, very um, strange, to say the least. Um, you know, when it started out with, you know, when he started talking about the fact that victims, you know, that uh, that the people who were, those two individuals were killed and the one that was injured could not be classified as victims. Of course, you want to understand, just in terms of the, the literal sense in terms of victimhood, we understand that getting shot is in fact a, 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 a representative of victimhood. Nobody wants to get shot. So this is a very, very, very ironic kind of ruling to say that uh, people who were, who were in fact victims could not be defined as such. So that was very, very ironic in and of itself. Um, but interesting enough, he talked about the fact that um, the victims could be defined as rioters and looters. <laughs> If that's not prejudicial, I don't know what it is. It seems to me that simply being there doesn't make you a rider or a looter. it simply means you're a participant in a, in, the, in a, in a, in, a uh, in a demonstration It doesn't make you a rider a looter so it seems to me the the uh the support that you need to justify claiming someone is in fact a rider looter seems to me the the information has to be presented in court you you know to uh uh to to expressly uh uh create the situation where it's very very clear to people that in fact that you are a rider looter, but no such information was ever presented in court. But yet he said that they were a that that the defense could call them or consider them as rioters and looters. I thought it found it very fascinating. Uh and that's not bizarre enough, I And mean, we talk about in terms of the, the, the video. Uh the video that the judge ruled that was inadmissible and his his position was that the video was inadmissible uh inadmissible because uh according to the judge that he suspects that the, 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 the uh, algorithms uh, were manipulated and that uh, they didn't show clearly what had transpired. Or what they did actually choose, um, trans, what they actually show that, that Rittenhouse was a transgressor uh, was in doubt simply because he sus- sus- suspect that the algorithms were, uh, were uh, manipulated. When in fact, what he was talking about, he was talking about the quality of, of the video and he was talking about the pixels. And even though they, when they tried to explain that they, when you enlarge the picture, it's going to be grainy. It, it doesn't mean that it was, it was somehow uh, tampered with. But anyway, he ruled against those, 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 those videos. I found that very, very interesting. And then uh, to cover his tracks, he told the prosecutor, listen, if you can get an expert in here, a technical expert in here, you know, to, to, to you know, uh, clarify my concerns, uh, then certainly, you know, I will allow that those videos will be admissible. Uh, but he gave him a limited time to do that. And the reality is that he knew within the 20-minute time limit that's only possible to get a a, a expert in there to, to, to explain to him, you know, in terms of the process, in terms of how those pictures work. Uh, and also, you know, uh, this guy in about Bazaar, when this guy talked about the fact, when this judge talked about the fact that he he encouraged people to applaud for so-called veterans, you know, I, I find what, what has that got to do with the trial? He have a trial on place, and he's telling people, you know, in the audience who uh, who 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 are there in the court, he's telling them to applaud veterans. So clearly, he was sending a message, and that message was one of uh, patriotism. And of course, of course, this question of patriotism was important because when 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 the radio was revealed, that his phone went off, and he and there was a song about God Bless America. Then his political loyalties was very very clear that this guy was very very conservative, and uh, you know. I and mean, that the, the, the ringtone sort of underscore, you know, that that perception. Uh, and all, and above all, the other Africa, the the level of contempt for the prosecutor. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, when you have that kind of contempt for the prosecutor, it's just a message to the jurors. Uh, if any time, see, so one, one reason why demeaning is so important with judges is because one of the things you don't want to get the jurors to thinking that the case is somehow faulty, or the or or, or the case is somehow. Um, uh, unfairly uh, being unfairly uh, pro- uh, prosecuted you don 't want to give the jurors that in perception, so by him being belittling uh, or, or berating the prosecutor by him essentially so showing so much contempt for the prosecutor, he conveyed a message to the to the jurors that this guy is not to be trusted he 's a bomb, you disbelieve anything he has to say, and that in fact this jury this whole trial is a mockery that I find extraordinary and finally, brother africa I got to say that um uh, not to let the prosecutor off the, off the, off the uh, let uh, escape uh, some culpability. I think that when we talk about, in fact, the, the possible role in terms of covering on the basis, the prosecutor in to particular case, he do a very good job in terms of causing on the basis. One of the things is that when we when, when talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, lesser charges or lesser counts, one of the things in terms of securing a conviction on some level, lesser accounts become, lesser accounts, lesser counts become extremely important. In terms of you know uh, charging a uh, defense uh, witness, I mean, uh, a, a someone who's accused of a crime with uh, the mere fact that the prosecutor didn't push for lesser counts, uh, you know, essentially what it did it made it possible for for this guy to be for this guy Rittenhouse to be acquitted. And then when the judge ruled against the video evidence, and when he ruled against, when he ruled that uh, the word victim can be used essentially, these things in, in, in connection ensure that uh, Rittenhouse will be acquitted, and he was acquitted. So clearly, Brother, Brother Africa, this is a very, very bizarre, a very bizarre trial, but the implications for people, I think, for, particularly for African people, have to be very, very clear. And so when we talk about this dual America, we talk about this two Americas, we got to understand that this is very, very real. So we're not simply talking about an individual who, who, who's acting uh, in, a, in a manner which is not consistent with the Constitution. Essentially, we're talking about a whole system. Georgian prosecutors working together to ensure a, the desired effect. In this particular case, they talk about uh, actually the acquittal of Rittenhouse. So even, even Rittenhouse had to acknowledge that he knew that, uh, you know, he was, he was protected. I mean, he anticipated on being convicted. Uh, but, if, if the, but if the prosecutor would have initiated lesser, lesser counts, then certainly the transporting the weapons from one state to another would have been very difficult for him to, uh, to, get, to get around that charge because even though state statutes may justify taking a weapon from one state to another, Federal statute does not permit you to take weapons from one state to another unless you're licensed. So clearly, um, uh, the prosecutor fell down on the fell down on this on the job. And I've I only said, brother Africa, this case is very very bizarre. And I certainly hope at this point people begin to understand the implications in terms of what this really means. Because by by him getting away with this, then we can anticipate more of this in the future. And one of the things that we're very, very clear on as uh, the right wing uh, pushes this country towards civil war. We got to understand that the more this, the, criminal, the criminal justice system legitimizes this kind of activity, then one thing is clear: it's going to make it easier for those people on the right to do to organize. So clearly, we got to understand the implications of this case. And if people don't, I no. don't know what to say. And I'll close with that, by the African. brother Africa. Brother haki, what do you make of the jury,
3: or the judge, and the prosecutor and defense made it so easy that any African who may have been available to be a jury could easily be struck down and not be a jury based upon whatever assumptions or suspicions that were put forth or why they should not be one. What you make of the jury being so so basically dominated by Europeans and not really a jury of of, 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 of the community? What you make of the of whole peers. process of jury selection?
7: Well, I I think, but see, but see that, that see that problem, uh, falls squarely on the judge. See, when you talk about the challenges, it's very very clear that the defense will eliminating people simply on the basis of their color. Very simple, and they even acknowledge that they did that. And it's coming upon the judge to say, no no no, uh, that's unconstitutional. There is no legitimate basis me to strike these people, so therefore we're go- I'm going to overrule. But he didn't, because he understood that the likelihood of, of an acquittal is, 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 is Virtually guaranteed if you have a, a white a, a a white a white jewelry pool setting there. It's not to say that all white folks are inherently racist. Or all white folks would have voted that way, but what it does statistically is it creates the odds or the probabilities that these white folks are going to vote to acquit. You know this white this white this white this white this white eighteen year old. And so clearly in, in hindsight, uh, they were very very um, uh, successful in terms of implementing that strategy because that jury did precisely. You know uh, what they had anticipated. There was relatively little discussion around, you know, uh, the fact that this guy brought an AR AR15. You know, cross straight lines for the sole purpose of, of policing. You know, uh, that that um, that um, that, uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, that 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 little um, that the uh, movement that was taking place at that point in time. So clearly, you know, uh, that question was never really a question in, in terms of the minds of the jurors. In fact, this notion that somehow the individual with the AR-15 was, in fact, he was a victim, uh, to- totally uh, uh, sends logics or, or, or sets the logics on his head, because in order for you to believe that, uh, you got to believe that, uh, he, that Rittenhouse, by having the AR-15, didn't provoke the situation. And, Of course, in the context of when you talk about these, you know, these kind of uh, um, uh, these kind of events, when you when you're protesting against, you know, some kind of some kind of injustice, one of the things you don't want to see is someone walk on the street with, with weapons. And one of the things that these three individuals attempted to do was to intervene and say, "Listen, man, what you got? What you got there? You know, you hurt somebody with that, and uh, you know, and dissuade him, you know, to hopefully to leave the area with his weaponry." So clearly, the three the three individuals, the two who were killed and the one who was wounded, was trying to avoid bloodshed by dissuading this guy from actually using an AR-15. But what in his mind, that was provocation for him to shoot. And, and and so therefore, by the judge conveniently ruling, you know that one that these guys couldn't I mean these guys were couldn't be perceived as victims. Or that that Rittenhouse, or written house was justified in shooting them because they were violent and looters. Such a bad precedent, you know, particularly for African people. And so therefore, you know, um, you know, it seems to me, you know, but you know, but to ask the question whether after all this is all this is in, in, in conjunction with the desired result, which namely to make sure that he was acquitted, and the, the judge, the prosecutors, all played their role in terms of in terms of uh, bringing about that result.
3: Thank you, Brother Haki, What are we gonna do right now? is go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Anthony.
8: Okay. I wanna add to what Brother Haki pointed out and point out that uh that the uh, the that, that 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 the men who were shot were all Europeans. But they were at a demonstration uh you know that was uh in support of black lives matter which was protesting the shooting of an uh, 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 of an african by, uh, by 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 the by the Kenosha police in which the the african was paralyzed from the waist down uh so uh this uh, uh and this is why this sets such a, a, a bad president a precedent for the African Because usually when uh when uh when when an incident goes down involving Africans, uh people protest and take to the streets and protest. Uh the protest that that injustice. And it uh and 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 the way uh uh, this verdict uh went uh it me it makes it more dangerous to protest against uh injustice inside the u s now especially since uh you know uh was to prevent uh you know something like what Rittenhouse did being repeated in another in another lo- lo- location inside the u s so, uh, so, 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 what uh, the implication of that is? It is it makes protests and political dissent much more difficult for Africans and those uh, non-Africans who who may or who may support them. So, uh, so, this has very stark implications. I, I wanted to add to that. And I also wanted to point out that uh that the u s is uh is threatening to, uh to attack Ethiopia, uh because of um alleged uh you know human rights violations and there demonstrations taking place in various parts of the world protesting uh, you know, that uh that moves.
3: Okay. Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony to Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your work, community, Sister Eleanor?
4: Well, um, I'd like to continue where uh Brother Anthony and Brother had uh begun. One of the big concerns, Brother Africa, is we know that we saw a change in this country last year. We saw white people recognizing and coming out in support of African-American people. And we see from this Kyle Rittenhouse case more than ever that only whites can go in and educate poor whites to stop the violence. This is a violent extremist community. They've been using this old thing, dividing the poor whites from the poor blacks, suggesting that somehow African Americans are their reason for their, their poverty. And it's not at all. So we see the importance of organizing more than ever And we see the importance That only whites can do Go in and teach These poor whites That they need to Organize Against their The working class Common enemy Which is corporate America And these western Imperialists And uh, the decisions The judge, in my opinion, and I am not an attorney, abused his judicial authority. And um, he's sending a horrible message to people around the world, but in particular to young people in this United States. This is not a time to proliferate violence. But this evening I'd still like to stand in unity, with uh, the sister on the phone and say in advance, everybody's saying happy holiday. Let's say happy Kwanzaa. Let's say happy Hanukkah. Let's get the bo- let's start educating each other. I appreciated that comment, and I stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Cuba that we um, relieve and stop this embargo. I stand in solidarity with our Palestinian brothers brothers and sisters congratulate the people of Nicaragua for having a successful election where uh, black and indigenous people were out in record numbers, because if you're going to have a revolution, you got to have it from the ground up, and that includes taking over political offices through organized coalitions. And I know we can do it. But thank you so much, Brother African. We saw a real atrocity with what happened to, in the Kyle Kyle K Y L E Rittenhouse case. It, it, it's it's as unbelievable, and uh, we have to just hope that we'll have a more reasonable outcome in the iman Audrey uh, the case. Um, In Georgia right now Because this is This is unbelievable We've turned the clock back A hundred years It seems like it's 1920 Rather than 2021 Thank you Brother Africa And thank thank you you, Brother King And Brother Anthony And to the sister
3: Brother Moses Talk to us What's going on in your world And
5: President Moses, certainly we we, we uh, echo the sentiments that have been expressed about this written out case. Um, when they when the judge reduced, threw out the uh, transporting the gun illegally transporting the gun, I mean he he basically set the the whole tone for the case for acquittal and stuff. And he in his ringtone with a Donald um, Donald Trump uh, one of his. His theme songs from his movement, and so he was obviously uh, very biased. And we have a double standard. You know, we still face with apartheid. Apartheid is a crime against the human soul. is a moral outrage, and we should condemn it. And because this is this double standard is is um, is is not acceptable. And uh, I think you know, like. Um, um, the the demonstrations uh, there were demonstrations today uh, around the um the Ethiopian situation and uh and hopefully um and then we should continue to, to to uh to to recognize that the US has no constructive uh act and activity in Africa and you know, Africa and the whole U.S. agenda has to be shown for what it's worth, and it's nothing but um, corporate America trying to rape, pillage, and plunder the continent. And and, you know, I I I continue to support the Palestinian people, and uh, and uh, hopefully things are going to improve as we get more and more organized. more and more conscious raised about this, this, this these, these, written Rittenhouse cases and these Georgia cases all, all give us a chance to point out the inconsistencies in the system and to point out the contradictions and hopefully win over those who are, those people who are conscious and who are, who are, uh, uh, honest, um, honest and, uh, and uh, they can see what's really happening, and we we should be able to point that out and gain friends. And uh, so this is the, this is the task we're faced with uh, to point out the contradictions and and uh organize people to uh, for a better day. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses, and to our listeners, trans supporters, and after the move. We will be discussing black power and the myth of coalition when we we'll come back from this rubbish break. We will continue to be in the seat and we're going to take the heat. So we want you to come back with us and join us by calling 323-679-0841 as we discuss our theme tonight, Black Power, the Myth of Coalitions. Can we find any friends? We're in the border of the U.S. We'll discuss that in a few minutes. This is Africa or Nemo.
9: Big out me gold in a Milan. Bigging on the pearl in a Milan.
12: The Constitution, a noble piece of paper, a with free society, the struggle, but they died in vain. And now democracy is a ragtime on the corner, a hope red, false, and false rain. that the like he's a hope and. I see the robber hands, first in barren treetops tops, are watching last is race ahead, marching across the floor But just like the peace of that vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow home Never Now it's winter, winter in America, and all of the have been killed or betrayed. Yeah, but the people know, the people know it's winter. in America, and ain't nobody fighting, cause nobody knows what to say, save
3: And As of right now, we'll continue our path down the road of liberation by revisiting an interesting book that was written about 53 years ago, titled Black Power, and Chapter Three, The Myth of Coalition. We'd like to have this discussion, and you can weigh in on this discussion by joining us, by dialing three two seven nine, zero eight four one, and it's the discussion around the issue of coalition when it comes to African people and when it comes to the issue of powerless forces looking for friends and supporters to help ally with them, to get out of their oppression. So we start off with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, let me read openly of this paragraph, and I'd like for you to articulate some of the concerns and lessons and issues that came from this particular chapter on the importance of looking at this whole issue of core coalition building. It's stated that there is a strong-held view in this society that the best, indeed, perhaps, the only way for African people to win their political and economic rights is by forming coalitions with liberals, labor, church, other kinds of sympathetic organizations or forces including the liberal left wing of the Democratic Party. With such allies, it could influence national legislation and national social patterns. Racism could thus end it. And this in the history of that lesson, Anthony. We open up the mic to you. The mic is yours, Anthony.
8: Well, let's see. Um, Later on uh, in this chapter, Uh, let's see. Um Kwame and um uh Charles Hamilton. Charles Hamilton Hamilton lay out the three myths uh that are associated with coalition building. Uh let's see. Um I'll share with you uh this paragraph uh the sec uh the second full paragraph on page sixty, which says the coalitionists proceed on what we can identify as three myths or major fallacies. First, that in the context of present day America, the interests of black people are identical with the interests of certain liberal, labor, other and other reform groups. Those groups accept the legitimacy of the basic values and institutions of the society and fundamentally are not interested in a major reorientation of the society. Many adherents to the current coalition doctrine recognize this, but nevertheless would have black people coalesce with such groups. The assumption, which is a myth, is this. What is good for America is automatically good for black people. The second myth is the fallacious assumption that a viable coalition can be affected between the politically and economically secure and the politically and economically insecure. The third myth assumes that political coalitions are or can be sustained on a moral, friendly, sentimental basis by appeals to conscience. We will examine each of these three myths separately. Uh these myths are erroneous and uh and uh, let's see and uh and the thing uh you know, the thing is though uh, uh Frederick Douglass pointed out over a century ago that power concedes nothing without demand. Never did and never will. And uh and the thing about though hit a uh, correct analysis of history shows that coalitions cannot be built by uh by appeals to uh to an individual's uh, conscience and uh you know and uh basically uh the chapter analyzes each of these three myths and how they've uh, they've led to errors in terms of africans uh you know uh, uh you know obtaining uh equality and freedom in this society and uh and uh you know it's um you know and uh you know there are numerous examples of that and uh, uh let's see uh oh, in order to go into a coalition, people have to be first organized with clearly defined goals, aims, and objectives. That are independent of the people they're trying to coalesce with and so uh so you uh so so uh so P, uh uh our people are disorganized, and we really can't go into coalition with anyone in that state. We have to organize among ourselves first and uh you know coming up with what our goals and objectives are uh which may which may uh which may uh, may not coincide coincide with those of other groups, but we have to get together uh, uh to define ourselves what it is that we actually want and what we and what we want to get out of these uh people that 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 we're trying to coalesce with. Otherwise there's no basis uh for uh for a coalition.
3: Thank you, brother Ed Brother Haki. When we talk about certain um, forces that liberals, the label, the church, the left wing the Democratic Party. What have we gained from having a relationship with these forces as it relates to we seeking our liberation? Earlier the article stated most of these people are still tied to is the essence of what it is to be an American. Your response, what you take from the myth of coalition, Brother Aki?
7: Uh, Brother Africa, uh, this is this is a this is a fitting topic. Because it's extremely important that we continue to have the discussions. Uh, you know, historically we we have to have these discussions, but to some extent, I think we've been losing sight of the fact that a lot of these ideas that we hold are are seriously questionable in terms of being able to deliver, uh, you know, a freedom, a true freedom for African people in the society. So, Brother Africa, when you talk about these coalitions with respect to liberal, you know, church churches and reformers. The so one thing is, Brother Anthony, is absolutely correct. One of the things so we, we're talking about, essentially what we're talking about is unequal power. And so, therefore, the reality is that when an when 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 organized power go up against, when, when our organized power go up against an organized power, then clearly the unorganized power at a disadvantage. In the context of the African experience here in North America, when we talk about in terms of, you know, advocate, advocating, you know, you know, for those things that uh, we, we should be entitled to as citizens, we understand that we do so against the backdrop of people who are not predisposed to even recognize that you have those fundamental rights in terms as a citizen of this country. mainly because many people in the society don't actually see you see African people as citizens. One of the things, you know, uh, constitutionally speaking, one of the things we have to address is that when we talk about what it is to be a person in society, when the constitution defines African people leaderships of a person and the current Congress Refuses to to to, to 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 eradicate you know that particular, particular Article One provision of the Constitution. In the essence, what it's saying is that we agree that African people are in fact these types of of a person. So, from a legal context, when you go to court to state the case, you know of unequal treatment. Uh, in the minds of conservative jurists, uh, the, the the question is that you know based upon the Constitution, you're not you're not a whole person, and so therefore, what you have to say has no real legitimacy. So the situation as a judge is to simply find means to justify denying rights uh, to people based upon some erroneous ruling, uh, which really obscures the fact that what you're really saying is that these African people are only three-fifths a person who don't have rights and want the bounds of respect. I think one of the things when we talk about liberals, Brother Africa, I, I, think, one of the things, I think it's important we, we, we address this, because often, you know, when we talk about liberals and conservative white folks, we've got to understand there's no fundamental difference between the two. Liberals at least some some liberals at least acknowledge that they have a bias. Uh conservative liberal, conservative whites would never acknowledge they have a bias. They would they would attempt they would uh, attempt to blame, you know, asking people for their predicament and say the reason why you're in such a predicament is because you're own inadequacy. Uh so in that context they're willing to give the system a pass. They're not willing to question the system. Well, white liberals are question the system. The problem is how far they're willing to go in terms of changing that system radically. Uh, the bottom line is they're not radically willing to change that system. Unless you're talking about revenue reform in terms of these systems, the bottom line is that these systems operate in a way in which they diametrically uh, exude power in a way which disproportionately negatively impact the lives of African people. So if you've got institutions that are geared toward the uh, monsterization of African people, but you got white liberals who refuse to fight against such a system, in essence what they're saying is that uh, you know, not only do we approve of the system, but the situation as you see it is not our concern. Because that's primarily your problem and not necessarily my problem. So this is this is this is a particular problem. Also, Brother Africa, I think with respect to liberals, I think one of the things, you know, when when we talk about liberals, I mean the arrogance that exists among many liberal white people. Which is why it's so difficult in terms of forming coalitions with, with, with white folks. Uh one of the things is that often white liberals would tell you uh, in the context of movements, they would say to you, "Well, you know, the only, the only, the only ideology, the only ideology that you can employ in terms of begging about your freedom is one of nonviolence." Now, for someone who's being beaten up, for me to come to, come to them and say, "Listen, hey, fella, uh, be nonviolent," for me to sell a person being assaulted to be nonviolent is the equivalent of of me. Uh, uh, Attacking the person myself, because of the, the essence is that you know when you, when you when you tell someone that you only have the only option is to be nonviolent, and then what you're saying is that you're simply you're disarming that person to make it possible for the kind of violence that they're up against on a daily basis to actually proliferate. So the level of violence, in upon after people actually increases because of the nonviolence. And we can't lose sight of the fact that when we talk about America, which with its capitalist mindset the inclination for violence is very as as as, as Jamil would say, is very much uh, uh, violence is very much a part of, of America as cherry pie. And that is so so true. And so one of the problems I think historically for African people is that this 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 this, this God consciousness is this propensity in terms of putting so much stock in the church, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but to the extent that the churches disarm us and it makes us ill equipped us for the ability in terms of actually strategically thinking about how we can navigate our oppression. One of the problems is that, uh, you know, when you're when you, when you buying into this church ethos, then the whole question of term nonviolence to become a guiding principle. And of course, we understand, as Malcolm says, nonviolence is never a principle. It's something that you employ from time to time, but it's not a steadfast principle. In other words, you don't employ nonviolence all the time. There may be times in which you have to employ violence. In a situation where a cop is going to kill you, I'm not going to tell anybody to stand there to let the cop shoot you. I'm not going to tell anybody to do that. And so, therefore, understanding relevance into the principle, you know, that there's a certain principle applied to violence, which at certain times, and particularly in the context of movements, sometimes violence is necessary. If you're out there doing a demonstration or you're out there protesting, and some right wingers come in with their AR-15s to shoot up the place, and you know, and uh, and and you see danger, and you got no 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 uh, no recourse but to respond, then violence is justified in terms of doing that. It's not to say that. Anybody wants to shoot anybody is such, it's such simply an, is an understanding that sometimes in the context of movement violence is a necessity. Also, but this question in terms of you know uh, class is race, brother Africa. To answer your question, one of the things when you talk about these coalitions, you know, one of the things in terms of which is so pivotal is this question in terms of class versus race, because, because one of the things that when you when you elevate race, you know, as as as, as your as your guiding parameter. One of the problems is that you send, you see things through that prism of class, and so, there, and so therefore uh, the peculiarities, the particulars in terms of the oppression of, uh, uh, inflicted upon against the African community, you don't necessarily see you have to make a case analysis because you tend to see it in class with proportions. and so for instance, if you talk about instance, you talk about uh, police brutality. Of course, poor white folks get 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 killed by police disproportionately. No question about that. But if you were to look at it in, just in terms of racial terms in terms of the offensive police use violence, there is no question that statistically or statistically, there's no question when it comes to use of daily force is is used against across the board. and so therefore, even though they kill poor white folks, when we talk about in terms of the, uh, the 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 we talk about the overall intent. Of police officers in terms of their propensity when they continue to do this kind of thing uh, you know, over and over and over again, you know, uh, consistently. Uh, whereas when you talk about the white community, they should kill white folks, but African people they consistently kill over and over again. So when you look at this kind of pattern, then you've got to reala- realize that at some point that this question in terms of race is a very important one. Now, of course, race is not going to determine in terms of, you know, shouldn't should define in terms of how you move. But it has to be a consideration in terms of overall understanding how to decide to operate it and strategically what you have to do in terms of moving people forward. Because when we talk about race, we can't discount the notion in terms of when we talk about the kind of slave mentality that exists among a lot of our people, we can't discount this reality. So a lot of our people actually believe that, in fact, that the color of your scheme defines your intelligence. In such a situation, if you can't demonstrate to our people that that's an absurd concept, then you know what? They tend to embrace that. And the problem with embracing that nonsense is that it gets perpetuated from generation to generation to generation, which means that it put us further, at a further disadvantage in terms of trying to bring about some kind of redress in terms of the historical wrongs African people face in the society. Uh, and finally, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, one of the things also when we talk about, you know, um, those liberal, you know this, this, these coalitions, one of the things is that, you know, and I find this very, very interesting, but one of the things historically, you know, we had a lot of these so-called black conservatives uh, you know, who positions was that, you know, if we just have engaged in this kind of discourse, you know, with the, with the, with the right wing, that somehow we can bring about some redress in terms of the problems that African people are confronted with. Now, of course, the problem is that women's problems is that the problem that we're confronted with is systemic. And, of course, the bottom line is that those conservative elements in society who position is that they support the system, uh, don't see a problem, and so therefore, when you say that the problem is peculiar to African people, they're immediately dismissed. Because what takes precedent is the functioning of these institutions. But these black conservatives, in vision is you just talk to these conservatives, everything's going to be, uh, be all right. A lot of them actually learn that that's absurd. Uh, to give you two quick examples, uh, Michael Steele, the former RNC chairman, uh, he for a long time he still is he's still a Republican. And he's been advocating real change. His position was that, listen, to get the Republican Party to realize that there's a lot of uh, uh, utility um, and uh, actually engaging African people in terms of being participants in the Republican Party. Well, his efforts in terms of persuading you know Republicans you know to open up their tent to include more African peoples in terms of their interests has actually fallen short. And so, Michael Steele now he understands that uh, his his his, his, his his perception in terms of the possibility of change and the actual reality of change is two different things. Secondly, uh, there was a J. C. Watts. Remember J. C. Watts out of Oklahoma. He was Republican, and J. C. Watts was was a, he was his position was that you know, listen, if you simply make some 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 changes, you know, to the way the system operates, then everything's going to be all right. So, for instance, whereas we may talk about. Um, uh, government transfer payments for the poor, in terms of helping people to survive in society, he would say those transfer payments, welfare, etc., weakens people's resolve in terms of being able to, to survive in the society. To some extent, there, there is there is there is some proof there is some there's some truth in terms of what he's saying. But the bigger picture, but the bigger picture is when, when you're, if you're, if you're going to go that route. The bigger picture is that when, when you talk, if, if you talk about a system that domestically, uh, not only domestically opposed to the interests of the African people in terms of their, in terms of their day-to-day livelihood, then you've got to create some avenue by which people can work through the system to ensure they get those things they need to thrive and develop. Well, in that context, of course, we've got to talk about education. Now, one of the things that J.C. Watt said to do in terms of the educational reforms you know, in, in, you know, as a Republican. And this guy was, now keep in mind, he was the head of the, the House of the, the Republican uh, Conference. So he had some pull inside the Republican Party. So he was able to dis- persuade a lot of these Republicans that he was a good old boy and, in fact, he could be trusted. And, to the consequence, he was elevated to a position that's high up in the Republican Party. But despite that position, when he advocated educational reforms to the extent when you talk about equal education and funding of schools, you know what the Republican Party did? There was no hearing on that at all because the whole notion that you're going to create a system where African children and white children are. school systems are equally funded, meaning that African children have the same access to quality education that white kids have access to. And Republicans understand they're not going to have that. So again, the Republican position is that the way the institutions operate uh, are consistent in terms of holding the interest of, con- of conservatives in particular, of generally, but specifically holding up the interests of white folks. So clearly, Brother Africa, so when we talk about this coalition in terms of, you know, with liberals and we, uh, church members and reformers and all these kind of people, the bottom line is that unless they have a, a genuine interest in terms of the empowerment of African people, wow. it's, nothing, nothing's going to happen.
3: Thank you, Brother much. Sister Eleanor, it says that the third myth assumes that political coalitions are or can be sustained on a more moral, moral friendly sentiment basis by appealing to the conscious. What's your response to that?
4: Well, Brother Africa, uh you know, uh it's true that people build coalitions that last as long as those people around. But the only way to really build uh uh sustainable coalitions and I think brother anthony uh mentioned it was to first organize your, yourselves we we have to we have to be organized we have to um uh when I say organize, we have to define uh, – we have to organize, uh, build uh, – the only coalition is ourselves where we define our interests and goals, and then we can see what kind of allies are available. And uh, as uh, the article said, it said let uh, any group uh, contemplate a coalition, be, make sure that coalition is so tightly organized. And so strong amongst itself, so that, in the words of Al of Saul um, uh, Alinsky, it is going to be too great to ingest. In other words, it can't be eaten up. So, you really uh, the the advocates of black power are not not opposed to coalitions per se as the article said, but we are not interested in coalitions that are based on myths. And that's a myth that has to be uh, outlawed. Because, yeah, you and I can have a a coalition together, but what happens after we move on, after we retire? So coalition building is about building strong organizations that can withstand uh, the weight of time. And also, Remember, with these coalitions, we have to realize that uh, we have clear goals. They're not just vague goals, and we go along with the goals of others. But, you know, they have to serve our interests, and we have to be clear of the, uh, when we're building these coalitions, that we know what the goals are of uh, the persons we're building these coalitions with. Um, uh, but uh, to the extent uh, to which black people can form variable coalitions that within results uh, uh, and our allies uh, have their results. But we have to be clear in what our individual goals are before we can, uh, uh, as a part of going into coalition with people. As the article stated, we saw in the 19th century how we we vaguely fell into coalition, uh, this myth that what's good for America is good for black people. No, it's not. And what's, and And if anything, we can say what's not good for black people, what's not good for Africans isn't gonna be good for America either. But the uh, the advocates of Black Tower, and I'm quoting the article, are not opposed to coalitions per se, but we are not interested in coalitions based on this to the extent uh, uh, to which uh, black people can form variable coalitions that in results of those are, are sought, that we have set out goals that are deliverable uh, that can be achieved and to that uh, mutual respect of each other's power when we're such a strong coalition that we can't be swallowed up we can't be soaked into the democratic party because we're always going to be able to stand separately as as a individual group that's the only way we can really have coalitions and 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 and, and
3: and gain from them in the long run. Thank you, Brother Moses. When you talk about coalition building, what's there for African people to benefit from winning over 50 years more of being in coalition with the Democratic Party? Based on the article, what do you think the results would be? What did you get from this article, Brother Moses? Give me your take.
4: Brother Africa. Excuse me, brother Africa. I'm sorry yes. to interrupt. I just wanted to say that the uh, the recognition by the parties in any coalition involved uh, 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 there has to be uh, respective self interest and and the mutual belief that each party stands to benefit in terms of self interest from the uh, alliance with the other parties and the acceptance of the fact that each party has uh, its own independent base of power and does not depend for alter, does not ultimate decision-making on one force outside of itself. And the realization that uh, the coalition deals with Specific matters, uh, and 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 they're very identifiable, as opposed to general and vague goals. Uh, The heart of the matter is that uh, it's uh, they quote the Machiavellian philosophy, and everyone has to work in their own best interests, and that is how you can the only way you can truly build. Coalition that supports African people, African American people.
3: But Moses,
5: your Thank take? Uh you, hmm Yeah. Well, you know, we we are faced with a white power structure, a white supremacist, white power structure, and and so we that's an objective reality. So, you know, we enter this situation, you know, our needs for food, clothing, and shelter, education. And income uh, um, are, are 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 there. I mean, we have a, these needs, but but we're not the only people with these needs. Everyone has the needs for food, clothing, shelter, and income, and and um, the problem is, you know, like I said, we're faced with a white power structure. So there's un, there's not equal, there's no equal rights and justice, um, and so just the struggle. Uh, so we any coalition you enter, you any any organization that you enter should have some objectives, and um, and you either agree with them or you disagree with them, and um, and so you know we have to have our own independent objectives of what we what we want to accomplish with the organization, and um, that's clear, and so you know the the history of betrayal of of uh of white white liberal liberals and and uh, and whatever uh is a long history of broken treaties broken promises and uh and uh and uh, we have to recognize that that uh that you know the struggle is is ongoing and that not everybody is a John Brown um uh, um, but there are some John Browns, and we have to recognize that and um, enter into in, in in a good faith coalition where where the objectives are clear and uh, and and our interests are being advocated for. Um, this you know it's a struggle. It's, it's a struggle. It's not. It's you know it's one thing to, to say things. But it's another thing to actually engage in the activities that are necessary to carry out the interests and um that's where the the um the devil lies in the details. And so so um I'm I think, you know, that uh that, you know, mm-hmm. the objectives we have to be clear about what, what are what are our objectives. When we say black power, what what does that mean? concretely uh in terms of what what uh, what we're trying to accomplish um and um you know we you know because like i said we all we all have the interest for food clothing shelter income and education et cetera. uh I, i'm, not, I'm gonna, not gonna ramble i'll leave it right there thank you
3: thank you brother Moses Brother Anthony, they use the concept Anglo conformity. when you talking about African entering, entering coalitions with various groups? What do they mean by the word Anglo conformity? From your perspective, we're going to Brother Anthony. Uh, uh
8: conforming to uh to English mm-hmm. customs as uh, as modified by the by, by 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 the by the European central colonialists in uh, in North America. Uh and uh and uh by Anglo conformity that means that um that there's some that that, that 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 Europeans that there's some Europeans that are arrogant enough to believe that uh that, that 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 everybody wants the same thing, which isn't true i mean uh i mean and the and the thing about it though um you know it uh you know organizing uh for your own freedom is a lot of hard work, and uh that entails uh doing the hard work. Of uh forming political organizations with your own aims and objectives uh with the view toward being able to live out to your fullest human, uh fullest potential as a human being like any other ethnic group would and uh and uh, uh let's see um, a lot of uh you know uh, Europeans don't want that African people. they want uh, that they uh, they uh want to uh exploit our labor and land uh you know for their own selfish gains. So our interests can't be the same as those of uh, a lot of our European counterparts, particularly the European bourgeoisie. And uh but forming our uh you know, forming our own political organization takes a tremendous amount of work. It is not easy. I mean uh I mean, uh some of us have been at it for nearly forty or fifty years. And uh so uh it, it is uh it, it it is difficult because we're dealing with a relentless enemy. But it is necessary in order to gain, uh, you know, our true liberation in order for our children to be able to live out to their fullest human potential. And uh, Anglo uh, conformity means, uh, you know, conforming to English customs as far as attitudes, lifestyle, and culture.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, as you stated earlier, we often talk about the realities of these forces within the world of the United States see themselves as being Americans. They see themselves as having American values. They see themselves in which they don't want to detach themselves from the capitalist system are uh, all these reasons why African people will find it very difficult to have any kind of coalition within the borders of the U.S.? Your general response to that phenomenon, Brother Hackey?
7: Exactly right, Brother Africa, exactly right. Uh, we got to be very, very clear. Uh, in the context of capitalism, one of the reasons why we brought over here in the first place was because of the innovation of capitalism. That's precisely why we were brought here. We brought here, our ancestors brought here to work, pure and simple. Uh, we weren't brought here to enjoy the good life. We weren't, we weren't uh, brought here, you know, to be able to express ourselves. We weren't brought here to self-actualize to be all we can be. We weren't brought here for any of that. We are brought here simply to work. In that context, in terms of, you know, uh, the, the, that usefulness of our labor, uh, one thing that we have to keep in mind is that, that usefulness of our labor uh, is no longer in vogue anymore. Uh, now, uh, with automation and with so much unemployment, uh, the use of African labor really becomes, becomes redundant. And so the problem for the capitalist system is in terms of, well, what are you going to do with all of these people and what you don't have any need for? Well, one of the things is that when we, when, when we start talking about these coalitions, uh, one of the things you understand that those people who benefit, you know, from our exploitation uh, would like to continue to benefit at our, at our, from our exploitation. Well, if we don't have a, we don't serve a useful, um, a useful benefit to those people who <clears throat> historically benefited from our oppression, uh, as far as they're concerned, our, our existence is esoteric. Uh, our, our desires, our needs, uh, the things that we desire, those things have become extremely unimportant to those people in the positions of power. And so, therefore, as far as they're concerned, when you talk about a coalition, bottom line is that, well, you don't really, in their minds, we don't really serve, a, we don't really serve any interests. And so, therefore, we, we really have no needs for coalescing, uh, coalescing around. And so, see to me, Brother Africa, you know, um, you know, nobody wants to wants to deal with this question in terms of, you know, what it is to be an American. Now, when conservatives talk about what it is to be an American, they're very specific in terms of what it means to be an American. They're talking about white folks. And so when so when you talk about immigration, you see someone like Trump don't have a – well, not just Trump, but generally, uh, white people don't have a problem in terms of immigration from white nations. They have a problem with immigration from nations from, from nations with people of color. That's just that's where they have the problem. They particularly have a problem when it comes to immigration of African people. And the question becomes, why is that? Well, you know, to uh, be quite frank about it, African people are seen as a means to an end, and therefore it would be better – in the interest of the of the capitalist class. If Africans were to remain in Africa to to ensure that adequate labor exists in terms of, you know, digging up those raw materials in which the West so 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 uh, much depends upon. So clearly Brother Africa this, this coalition that you're talking about is always mitigated by this 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 notion in terms of who qualify as American and who doesn't. And and more insidious I think one of the things is that, you know, when you start talking about uh, who qualified for America, it becomes even more deeper. It becomes a question in terms of who qualifies as being human. Uh, one of the things that we understand, and when you talk about race, you're talking about a social-political construct, and we understand that. All right, but many white people don't understand that. Uh, many, the, many conservative white folks don't understand that, No, don't want to understand it. Even if they understood it, they're not. they would never acknowledge that. And so, therefore, so it's very easy to see us as something less than human. In that context, when you start advocating in terms, in terms of, you know, being part of the coalition, in terms of being treated equally, uh, they, well, in the minds of many conservative white folks, you start off on a premise which doesn't make any sense, which is to say that you're equal to other people. We understand in terms of origin human beings. We understand that Africanity. We understand all people are uh, Africanity. We understand that. So we're able to differentiate between uh, racist rhetoric and the reality of the situation. But for those people who actually internalize the racist rhetoric and really think that somehow being white sets you apart from other about the mess of humanity, those people have a, a particular way in terms of how they view African people. And so when you start talking about coalitions, it doesn't really matter whether you're Democrat, I mean, whether you're whether you're Democrat, Republican, liberal or conservative. The question in terms of, you know, what constitutes, what makes an African person. If they continue to see African people being distinct from themselves, then there's no real incentive for them in terms of saying, listen, we've got to simply change the system to accommodate humanity, period. They're always thinking in the, in the subconsciousness that there's a, the, the, the question in terms of what constitutes a human being is always in the back of their mind. And when you have a system that's, being, that's, that's, that's predicated on bullshit, was predicated on lying to them from the day that they're born until the day that they die, it's not easy to overcome that kind of propaganda. And this is a fundamental press discussion we have. One of the reasons why I, like, I would like to hear more white liberals, forget about conservatives, they would never say it. I would like to see more white liberals say, I know my origin goes back to Africa. I just want to hear one. I don't want to hear Fidel Castro, uh, Hugo Chavez, Muammar Gaddafi, uh, I want, you know, those who, you know, political, you know, political uh, icons who acknowledge their Africanity. I want to hear American poli- white politicians who are liberals say, you know, my, Af- you know, my, my roots go back to Africa. It's just one. That's not going to happen. Why is that going to happen? Because the reality is that in terms of how they see African people, uh, it's not on the same par as they see white people. And as such, your humanity is suspect. And so when you talk about these coalitions by of Africa, you've got to understand this is very subjective, but you got to understand that you're dealing with people who don't necessarily see you as equal, and it doesn't matter whether they're liberal or conservative. And that's the bottom line. I'll close with that.
3: Okay. What we're going to do right now. we we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask the panelists to respond to the recent reaction to written out decision, whether the you spoke about it earlier, where Joe Biden stated that the jury has spoken, and let's move on. What do we read into that statement? We have the panel's response when we return. This is Africa on the Move. <laughs>
10: Brother, brother, brother There's far too many of you
13: dying You know we've got to find a way
9: To bring some loving here today yeah. father, father We don't need to
2: escalate War is
9: not the answer For only love
3: As relates to Black Power, the myth of coalition. To my panelists tonight, when we look at the recent decisions we're taking, um, from this, I would say this this irresponsible behavior of, of, of a, a individual wanting to take law in his own hands and dictate
11: uh,
3: what he can do how he can express himself and how he can act out against something that he doesn't desire. Like killing two people and shooting another person and claim to do it all in self defense and the legal system support it. Well panelists, I'd like to know what message has been sent when you have Joe Biden stated in response to that recent court decision of not being guilty on five accounts that the jury has spoken, and let's move on. Is this an example of this whole question that typifies this whole concept when we're talking about the myth of these coalitions, how they view African people? us, how do you read it to Joe Biden's response? The jury has spoken, and we must move on. Brother Hackey?
7: <clears throat> yeah, well. It's uh, it's very very interesting that when, when when President Biden says the Jew has spoken, I find that very ironic. Uh, one of the things when you talk about a case of this magnitude and the potential uh, uh, potentialities that it it, it, it represents, uh, it seems to me that there should be some consideration, you know, in terms of federal charges under civil rights statute violations. Uh, clearly, you know, um, you know, he came there to provoke the situation. And the mere fact that Joe Biden chose to not talk about any of that, not being even pursuit federal uh, civil rights charges, speaks violence in terms of just how complicitous uh, Biden is in terms of his right-wing drift in this country. I think for the overwhelming people in, in the in, in African community, I think it's important to understand when we talk about this right-wing right wing threat that's sweeping the nation, we've got to understand that it's not simply, you know, working-class uh, poor white folks you know who will participate in these right-wing, these right wing movements? We're talking about very accomplished uh, uh very powerful individuals in and out of government uh, who are participating in these right wing movements. Uh, one day recently was exposed the amount of dollars the Koch brother uh, one, the surviving Koch brother, the amount of money that he sent, he contributes to right wing movements you know throughout the country. And clearly, so when we talk about organization, when we talk about finance and all those kind of things that make organization possible, clearly uh, the right wing is very, very clear uh, that the only way they're going to maintain power, uh, the only way they can maintain control is that they're going to have to decimate, they're going to have to literally kill or eliminate large numbers of people. And chief among those numbers are the African population. Uh, of course, uh, people of color, Jewish people, and gay people, of course, are also on the menu. Well, specifically, African people is their priority, and we got to understand that very, very clearly. And so, when Joe, so when President Biden whitewashes this 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 this, 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 this jury uh, decision, uh, he does so understanding, you know, that the very real threat uh, facing African people is very, very real, and that by, you know, Carl Blanche you know, validating, you know, this this agreement by the jurors. You're, you're essentially validating the uh, right-wing movements in this country, which is to the detriment of African people and, and other people of color as, as well. So clearly, Brother Africa, the, when he says a Jewish spoke and I just say, well, that's typical Joe. If you look at his history in terms of his pandering to the right, he has a long history of doing that. Joe Biden is not as progressive as people like to believe. Uh, he has a long history in terms of pandering to the right. So I wasn't really surprised that he would say something like that. But when he it it was when we really committed to in terms of justice, uh, given the uh, the gravity of, of of him giving away those charges, it seems to me that he would implement the, uh, have the Department of Justice implement um, uh, an investigation, um, uh, possibly implementing civil rights statute violations uh, for killing those two people and wounding a person with that AR-15. But again, this is Joe Biden, so understand he is who he is. Brother Anthony,
3: the jury has spoken. Let's move on. What do you draw from that response?
8: What I draw from that is that uh, Biden is for maintaining the status quo by any means necessary, and I think it's significant the fact that uh, Kamala Harris seemed to disagree with him somewhat and uh, on uh, on, uh, on his view. And uh she indicated that the decision uh the jury decision may uh uh means that there's that 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 in terms of ensuring uh, justice there's more work that needs to be done. Well she's correct. Even though she she seemed to disagree with uh, you know, uh Joe Biden, you know, in uh you know, in that regard. Which is, I think, which is part of the reason why I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, Biden's stance has aroused some uh, some, some controversy. And uh, you know, but the thing of, uh but the thing about it though, I, I, you know, one of the, one of the lessons that we need to draw, and uh, and I think this is a reflection of the fact that we don't, stu- that we don't study our history thoroughly enough is the fact that uh during the 1890s uh when uh, uh when this European out of Georgia called for uh poor Europeans and poor Africans to work together inside the same party and uh he launched the populist movement as soon as uh you know uh you know, open racism became uh, uh, you know more fashionable. He ran the, he ran the Africans out of the populist party, in spite of all the work they worked well, uh, that they, they did to build it. and And the lesson here, and and the lesson from our dependence upon the Democratic Party, is that you cannot go into a coalition of front. Without first being organized Because those forces that are better organized Than we are Will run us out of the organization And uh, we'll be going around uh, You know uh, You know uh, Disorganized And uh, you know uh, uh, Trying to uh, You know figure out what to do Uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and the thing about it, though, but I mean, uh, this is, um, largely a consequence of the, uh, uh, of the corruption and disorganization of the, uh, African petty bourgeoisie.
3: Sister Eleanor, the jury has spoken. Let's just move on. Your response
4: well um brother africa um i think that one of the horrors that we haven't even thought about you know, since we live in a in a country where we use common law doctrine is how and what is going to come after this and what uh and how this this uh defense will be used in other venues uh but I think that uh, Brother Anthony hit it on the head when he mentioned Watson. And um, I may have not articulated it clearly because I was doing it from memory, but on page 75 of the book, it talked about when you're building coalitions, that the the recognition that the parties involved have their respective interests clearly outlined for each other. Again, that's organization. And uh, that uh, the mutual belief that each party stands to benefit in terms of that self-interest from uh, uh, from aligning with the other, you know, aligning with each other and the acceptance of the fact that each party um, has its own independent base of power and does not depend for ultimate decision-making on the forces outside itself and the realization that the coalition deals with specific and, and in, identifiable uh interest, once again and and I think that uh President Biden I understand the uh separation of government, the you know, the legislative, executive and uh uh judicial branch, but there were some um real uh shocking things that happened.
0: The,
4: uh, I don't know what action the Wisconsin bar can take, or is there any action you can take against a a, a juror, a judge? but uh, he's playing Donald Trump's theme song for opening his rallies in open court he, he the, His behavior was outrageous, and the district attorney. Whether, whether accidental or not, not providing the defense with the drone, uh, with the footage or whatever it needed, and, clear, and, and, and not clearing up the issue, you know, shutting down the court and clearing up the issue of what happened that uh, both the defense and the uh, prosecutor didn't have the same information. And if the defense failed to have the software, that should have not been the problem of the, uh, of the prosecutor, but we, all that was handled in open court. So I would go back to, uh, you know, this is why whites need to go into the white community and advocate nonviolence. They need to organize whites to advocate for nonviolence. Their attack on people of color has got to stop. We can't continue to act as if uh, being frightened of the elderly black woman or the 10-year-old child is acceptable. We have this Rittenhouse walking free, and in the District of Columbia, the nation's capital, we have two children that hijacked a car being charged with attempted murder as adults. So there is a huge contradiction and and the 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 concern I have is the uh the legal implications of this decision and how it will be used in the defense of others in the future and will murder become something acceptable in this nation that we can go out to demonstrations and we have to be fearful of being murdered, that there will be armed persons there killing people, killing these young white people who were standing up and doing something that was phenomenal. When the earth, the whole earth stood united with African Americans the same way we stand united with Palestinians living under apartheid and they get the same treatment being shot down in the street, this is is outrageous. And I understand our president wanting to keep the boundaries clear of government, of of the executive branch and and the judicial branch. But he had, I think, as the leader of our country, an obligation to speak up about this injustice, to speak up about the poor decisions we're making in this republic in um, sending. Uh, extremists to Congress, sending people, uh, in, insane people like Taylor Green and these other folks to Congress, and what's happening in this country. It's time to re-educate the people, and it is really time for all working-class people to organize. And somehow, as Brother Hakee said, we have to or- let the people that are working-class that have a comfortable life know that when we have a, uh, a government for the people owned by, by the means of production are controlled by the masses, they're not going to lose their good life, their wealth, or their income. Fighting, fighting the Jeff Bezos and the Lockheed Martins uh, and, and, and it has nothing to do with the working class. And the working class gets confused because they may earn six and seven figures and and they think they're safe. And a few of us are accepted as individuals, you know, into communities because that's agreeable. But we have those African Americans thinking somehow they're exceptional. But, no, we have to find a way to unite ourselves through strong coalition building And this was a clear atrocity. And again, Brother Africa, I don't think it's an accident that 30 states have passed voter suppression laws since November 2020. They intend to take the vote away from the people and limit who can vote combined with voter apathy in this country. Lord knows we are a quote sinking democracy end quote I'm um, quoting someone else so I uh, this this cannot work and this this written house decision I may have to get back to you on it because I just think it's the 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 most dangerous violent assault on this democracy uh, I, I've seen since uh, Donald Trump called his boys out. At Lafayette Square last year. This this is outrageous. It's worse. And I'm glad that Vice President Harris, um, as a barred attorney, understood what a threat this was to democracy.
3: That's bringing Brother Moses. Brother Moses. So Biden said the verdict has taken mm-hmm. place. So let's move on. Your response.
5: What did you take from this? Well, Biden no revolutionary. He doesn't claim to be a revolutionary. And we have to understand that. I mean, he's he basically saying the system works. That's, that's his position, that the system works, and um, and we should accept it. And um, fortunately, um, the vice president hasn't totally lost all their roots uh, completely in terms of being a black person in the US of A. And she 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 recognizes some discrepancies there. Um, I I you know like I s you know that's that's the bottom line. I mean the the Biden thinks the system works. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. Analyst, your last response from this article. David going to wind down for the day. And I think this article in this statement typifies the nature of these um, forces within the US as relates to uh wanting to have a relationship with African people. Let me just let me just read the statement and get your response. Andrew Democrats, reformers and passionately committed to a militant stand on civil rights but they shy away from militant Negro organization because they find them too race conscious. Said Wilson in the amateur Democrat, cited as one example the independent voters of Illinois who so felt that they could not go along with the desire of some black members to take away very strong pro-civil rights and anti daily position. The liberal reform politicians have not been able and not being able fully to accept the necessity of black people speaking forcefully, forcefully, and for themselves. This is one of the greatest points of tension between these two sets of groups today. This difference must be resolved before a viable coalition can be formed between the two. To sum up our rejection of the first myth. So i just stop right there, Haki. That narrative still exists today. you agree with that narrative, and therefore, what do we have to stand or to gain from continuing to vote for a stand right Democratic Party? Brother Hackey? <laughs> you,
7: you, you know, uh, Brother Africa, you know, there, there, is, there is no utility. There's no benefits in terms of support for Democratic Party. Uh, tactically, if you're going to do it for tactical reasons, that's fine. Uh, but understanding and doing it for tactical reasons, you understand that you're not going to achieve uh, fully what you're attempting to achieve. Uh, simply participating in the process—a bankrupt process—is that does not mean that your participation in the process is going to fundamentally alter the way that system works. It just doesn't happen. Uh, ultimately, it's, a, it's coming upon African people to create the organizations in the communities in terms of doing the kind of things you we need to do in terms of uh, creating the proper conditions for our children, the proper conditions to address a lot of these ills that impact our community. It, it's coming upon us. Uh, one of the things, and when you talk about, uh, you, know, um, you know, being beholden you know, to, the, to, the, to the powers that be, one of the things I think about Afghanistan, and I think about the, 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 these, these very dirt poor people fighting the most powerful nation on the planet, the most militarily the most powerful nation on the planet, and defeating them. And they did it because of resolve, because they were determined to be free. Likewise, for African people in America to be free, we have to make a determination that we're willing to be free. Will there be casualties along the way? Of course there will be casualties along the way. Uh, some are uh, self inflicted others by the enemy. We understand that. But that's the nature of being free if you really want to be free. Uh, you know, but when you talk about the fact that this repudiation of, uh, of, 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 of black militants, or quote, unquote, black militants, those Africans who actually advocate for the interests of African people, it is a, it's, a, it's a source of contention for a lot of, a lot of uh, people who, who otherwise will be coalition members. Uh, this notion that we should be passive and we should be somewhat uh, pliable and we should go along with whatever we're told because others know better is very much a, it's a mindset that gets among a lot of people you know, in the white world who actually believe and fact that we have nothing to say and that we should actually follow. And so therefore when those Africans who advocated really strongly, you know, for the interests of African people, advocating power comes to mind. When you advocate, when you advocate strongly, number one, the first the first the first thing they do is to move to get rid of you. Because somehow they feel threatened by the fact that you got a you got a, a, a person of, an African person, actually articulating the interests of African people. And the, the fear is that if this African person and power articulate interests of African people, then you know, it may spray, There may the other African people who come along to articulate interests of African people, that people, people, in, people are in in the uh, in the survey world don't want to see come don't want to see come to fruition, and so therefore this this move to get rid of these people, these, these, these African people who are, who are quote unquote militant, is very much in keeping with this, this notion that 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 only white folks have a obligation or a right. Uh, or it's certainly a responsibility to control what goes on in the society. So I think to answer your question, Brother Africa, um, yeah, I think that uh, this question in terms of uh, participating in the political parties is just it, after you know after 150 years of participating in these uh, these political parties and the conditions are deteriorating. It seems to me that uh, you know uh, it seems to me just it's a no-brainer. Uh, at some point, you got to begin to understand that we have to utilize a different strategy. Now, always an old adage you know, if you continue to do the same thing but expect different results is by definition insanity? I think it's insane. But for people to advocate, keep on voting. You know, listen, I have no problem if you want to vote. Go ahead and vote. But I'm saying to you, if you really want to resolve the issues that we're confronted with, if you really want to empower our youth, if you really want to change the paradigm in which we live under, then we African people must do it, and it's that simple. And I'll close with that.
3: Brother you no response to that last statement I just read. <clears throat> they said we yes. are two race conscious. We're going to speak for ourselves and be independent. Why is there such a problem for these horses?
8: Uh, because uh, because they have a racist, uh, at worst and at best, a paternalistic attitude toward African people. And uh, and the thing about it though, we have the human right. To organize and speak for ourselves, and it's and it's time we exercised it, and uh, you know, and we have to organize for ourselves, and uh, you know, working in coalition with uh, with those that share the same uh, the, the, the the same uh, goals and objectives that we do but we have to be organized first before we enter into coalitions with anybody and uh and that includes uh you know uh, 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 other non-european nationalities and uh but uh but we have to form our own independent political organizations and uh after uh, after uh, uh, nearly 150 years uh you know it's because we don't under we haven't studied and understand that history that we continue to be deceived and go for the okadoke from the uh uh democratic republican duopoly but uh but but it, it is not it doesn't make sense anymore i mean the information is out there it's just that uh, you know uh, th- those who who understand that have to analyze it, and we have to be about the work of, of forming our own independent political uh, organization, and uh, sure. and that has to be done. You know, uh, you know, it, it, it's a it's a lot harder than than going to a voting booth and pulling a lever. But it's critically important that we do this for the survival of our, uh, uh, you know, for our future generations in this part of the diaspora. Thank you, Brother
3: Anthony, to our listening audience. We've been speaking to and about the book Black Power and the third chapter, The Myth of Coalitions. This book will bring back. Dr. Carl and Charles V. Hamilton, 53 years ago. And we often say that history is best to reward those research. Now, they have laid out the historical relationship of how coalitions have worked in the context of American politics. And again, we hope that we learn something so we won't repeat these errors again. So we ask all of you who are listening to this program Go back and review that book, review that lesson, and make sure we don't repeat the mistake again next year and year beyond. So on that note, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a quick um, station break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Sister Eleanor and Brother Moses to respond to what we're going to listen to right now, and we have our final thoughts for the rest of our panelists. This is Africa on the Moon. people don't want and don't
14: need reform what they need is revolution will be solved there's a difference between revolution and reform big difference in reform a man observing a foundation observing a system sees many problems but he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system the foundation of the system for him is a good system thus what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling, couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it, and then I'll come here and say, put a window there, put a door here, put a frame here, put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because this country is full of reformists, black people notwithstanding. And these reformists have a tendency to deceive you, to let you believe that things are really being changed when in fact the foundation has not been touched and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes. The more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall, and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, this foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt. It must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. Now, revolution is very scientific, there's nothing emotional about it, there's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Touré, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality, there is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me, thus I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation, and you see the foundation is rotten, and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one, only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles, Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world, America notwithstanding. It must come and will come.
3: Okay, you're listening to Brother Kwame Ture as he explained the difference between revolutionary reform and our people in need and must have a have revolution. Tonight our theme was Black Power and the Myth of Coalition. We hope that we have provided you with some information that will clarify the contradictions and the errors that we continue to make as we begin to look at who the coalesce with. So on that note, we can just go back to our political panelists, and we will ask them for their final thoughts for the night. First, we'll go with Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for the night, based on what you just heard, Black Power, the of
4: Coalition. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. At the beginning of our discussion of Black Power, and I'm quoting um, Stokely right now, we said that black people must redefine them, new values and new goals. The, the same holds true for white people of goodwill. They need to redefine themselves and their role. Some people see uh, the advocacy, advocacy of black power as uh, it's concerned with riddling away at civil rights of struggling white people. That's not true. This has been uh, untrue from the beginning. People who struggle for black power are struggling for basic human rights. When one oppressed group struggles for the liberation of itself, it is struggling for the liberation of planet Earth, as Stokely said. Because we, as humans, are going to have to change the way we live in allowing the very rich to weight us down, polluting the Mother Earth with their jets going into space and turn that around. So some people see advocacy, as I said, of black power concerned with only uh, whittling away the civil rights of white people. Not true. This has been, um, as I said, uh, not true. But the most important thing that uh, Stokely talks about how much needed a role whites can play, their role can best be examined on three different yet uh, relevant levels, and that is education, organizational support, given the persuasive nature of racism in the society and the extent to which Attitudes of white supremacy and black inferiority have become embedded. It is very necessary that white people begin to disabuse disabuse themselves of such notions. Black people, we can't do it. We can't go into white communities. We lead the challenge to the old values and norms in our own community that we believe we're this way. We've seen a huge migration into the United States where people are coming that are brown and yellow and and maybe uh, uh, have their African roots and telling people in the United States, this is an immigrant nation. Well, everyone from Canada to the tip of South America is a colonial settler state. El Salvador is a colonial settler state. Nicaragua is, but the Sandinistas Sandinistas now stand with the people, the indigenous people, the African people, and all people of Nicaragua. Mexico is no different. Costa Rica is no different. Panama used to be a part of Colombia until the Panama Canal was built, but Chile is a colonial settler state, Argentina. So, what is going on in this to change right now? What this book says is relevant today. And he talks about the fact that whites who recognize the need must also work in this sphere. They have to. Whites have access to groups in their society that we can never be reached by black people. So they must get within those groups and help perform the essential educated function, re-education of the masses. One of the most disturbing things about almost all white supporters has been that they are reluctant to go into their own communities, which is where the races exist and work to get rid of it. Now, if Stokely's talking about that 53 years ago, it still reads true today. We are now speaking of white people who have worked to get black people accepted on a individual basis by by the white society. And when you talk about that, Brother Africa, you're talking about uh, these uh, have, you know, they may take some into their schools, um, they're um, they're well-intended individuals, and they're very helpful. But too often, those efforts are geared to the same false premise of integration. Too often, the society in which they seek acceptance of a few black people can afford to make a gesture. They can afford to have a few blacks. They can afford to have a few tokens that they stand up. But the reality is we are a people struggling for liberation and equality. We unite with all people, as Stokely did in this book, Black Power, that are struggling for liberation. And in our struggle for liberation, we stand united domestically and internationally with all people struggling for their civil rights, for their basic human rights. And we do stand in unity with Mother Earth who is screaming from her suffering. And we don't need Bill Gates flying around talking about the environment. Take a train or a bus, and then we'll know you're really concerned with the environment, Bill Gates. And we need to let the whites teach the whites that there's a big gap between them and the super capitalists, and whoever they are as working people. If they go out to a job, if they telecommute to a job, they are the working class. And if we, as African Americans, as diaspora, as Africans around the world can unite instead of seeing our differences and organize, we can make a difference. And right now, as unfortunate as it is, the key is doing something different. Traditionally, we hadn't voted. We weren't voting. We had given up. Well, 2020, November, you saw folks vote, and it made a difference. A difference. It has these people so angry that 30 states out of these 50 states have passed voter suppression laws.
3: 30-something, Mississippi, Illinois. Let's wind up. let one up.
4: It's no accident that we make up the majority only in one place, and that's the U.S. prison industrial complex. And it's no accident that we come out without any rights, most importantly our voters' rights or the right to have a driver's license. But these things are changing, and if we organize and we become such a strong organization that we can't be digested by the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We can't be digested by the Conference of Baptist Ministers because we will be a force unto ourselves. So I agree with Stokely. Those four principles that he outlined for creating coalitions are the way to go. But the first coalition has to be ourselves. We have to unite amongst ourselves and set up clear and distinctive goals that include owning property, that include creating environmentally sound communities. And with that, I just want to thank you, Brother Africa, and all the analysts. And uh, I think I'm taking this uh, my comments from page 76 of Chapter 3. And uh, I just want to thank you for just this wonderful uh, discussion and, and bringing this book to our consciousness. I saw it today for sale on uh, 14th and you. So thank you so much, Brother Africa.
3: Contribution to today's program is Eleanor. And we go on with our final thoughts for tonight with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts on Black Power and the Myth of coalition Brother moses
12: yeah but
5: i think you know um it's been well stated the the situation um, um the uh the analysis is is concrete and specific and um and well well taken um we do need independent uh um, organization in terms of, uh, knowing what our, our goals and objectives are and, and, um, and, and we need to join revolutionary organizations, um, not just any liberal or, or just any old organization. Now uh, we need a revolutionary organization then. And, um, the question of revolution is a lot of people before revolution, uh, um, the question is, is how how to bring about revolution and that's that's that becomes the the um the devil in the details. Um I think, you know, uh a mass uh it's gonna take millions of people to to in the streets to, for change, um and that's gonna be that's gonna be Black, white, red, and yellow, and and all third world people, and people, people of all colors, um, gonna have to be united with a clear objective, and uh, that's scientific socialism. And so, you know, the struggle for equal rights and justice continues, and uh, and uh, I hopefully we'll will we'll, we'll succeed. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Rosen, for your contribution for today's program. And we now we'll move to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight.
7: Yeah, uh, a different kind of threat, Brother Africa. I was reading this article, and he talked about the, the rate of inflation in American society. Now, according to the Consumer Price Index, uh, they divided it into two areas. The overall Consumer Price Index, which measures the cost of living, and the core index, uh, which measures the cost of living as it pertains to food and energy. Interestingly enough, the overall index or the general index uh, of the cost of living increase is about two, 6.2%. Uh, the core index, which includes the food and energy, is up 4.2%. Interestingly enough, you know, uh, when people, people often ask, you know, what is the reasons for inflation? And one of the things that we don't talk about, and certainly the media doesn't uh, uh, discuss, is when we talk about the reason for inflation, there are two primary reasons for inflation which the media refuses to devouch. And one is the damage to the supply chain. If we think back in terms of the U.S. attempt to punish China you know, by destroying trade in an attempt to bring China down economically, of course it failed. But it has a devastating impact on the American economy. And as a consequence, you see inflation out of control. And this question of inflation is going to be around for a long, long time. And so the so inflation in terms of its impact on our ability to get the things that we need on a daily basis becomes problematic for a lot of people, particular people on fixed income or, and or poor people. So we have to understand the damage in terms of inflation. Secondly, when we talk about the rise of inflation, we can't talk about rise of inflation without talking about the printing of money. The U.S. continues to print money, to create trillions of dollars given to the wealthy who in turn buy more assets, who in turn contribute to higher prices, which means that our ability uh, to get the things that we need are compromised because people at the top are making all the money, and as inflation rises, it enhances their bottom line. So in terms of containing inflation, they're not concerned with that. It's just concerned with getting rich. So I say this to say that we've got to understand that when we talk about economics, we've got to understand this this um, impacts our lives more than the politics. Uh, the bottom line is that when we talk about this inflation and the in, the negative impact it's going to have on people, we've got to understand, you know, that it's going to affect us all. And the question is, what are we really going to do as the cost of living becomes astronomical? Already we're talking about the cost of housing, and in, in Richmond alone for, for, for a, uh, a two-bedroom apartment is close to $1,400 a month. That's in Richmond. Richmond is relatively one of the more cheapest places, supposedly, to live. So if it's 1400 a month, for two bedroom apartment in Richmond. Imagine in a place like Washington D.C. or New York or Philadelphia or L.A. or, or, or San Francisco. Imagine what the rents are there. So, coming Brother Africa, we have some problems only arising, and we gotta understand that none of these problems going go anywhere. And because the people there are people who benefit, you know, from these kind of, these kinds of uh, 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 measurements of the economy, uh, we gotta understand that things like inflation are only going to get progressively more worse. And having said about Africa, as always, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix because it's clear that all these problems that we talk about tonight, all these issues that we talked about tonight are not going anywhere. The question is, as, as, a, as a community, what are we going to do in terms of being able to deal with these pending situations as they confront us? And one thing is very clear. Uh, we understand the class dimension in terms of, you know, you know the African, uh, African problem. And, uh, of course, it's not going anywhere, but we have to deal with that. But more importantly, we have to understand that, you know, uh, class aside, we have to understand that we do have an obligation to one another in terms of, particularly for the children, in terms of surviving society. And I would say that, Brother Africa, you have a good night, and see you next week.
3: Good night, and we thank you as well, Brother Hackey, for your contribution to today's program. Now we go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts on black power, in the myth of coalition
8: yes um uh let's see uh uh let's see uh we've been victimized too long by the myths of coalition and uh we need to we need more than ever to form our own independent political party parties and uh, and uh, we must be organized as a people. There are numerous organizations out there. If you don't like any of the ones that presently exist, form your own. But we must be organized. Uh, Pan Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, is the ultimate solution to the problems that Africans. At home and in the diaspora, facing worldwide, and uh, w- uh, one can find out more about uh, this objective by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org, and there you can find out more about the history of uh, of our organization. And also about the history of Pan Africanism, and learn learn more about how to contact us. Please check it out if you get time. And thank you very much for having me tonight, Brother Africa.
3: And thank you, Brother Africa, for your contribution to today's program. Along with that website, the aprp.gc.org you can find a book, Volume 1 and 2, by Pan-African Roots, that's recently been published, um, with the author by Bra Brown. The book titles, We Demand the Prodigal closure, closure and Dignization of All Slavery it's excellent. It's an excellent book, Volume 1 and 2. It's a book you should have in your uh, library. Please go to the site, check out the book, purchase one, and share with your network. Tell your friends, support this important work. Also, we'd like to make a announcement for those who are interested in going to Cuba with Africa on the Move and other organizations which will be taking place on July 23rd to 31st. We will then be visiting Havana, Santiago, Cuba. You can contact the African Awareness Association by going to their e- website at www.aa-cuba c-u-b-a-tools t-o-u-r-s dot com or well, you can email them the African Awareness Association 2 email if you're interested in someone on the street ride to Cuba this summer. So we actually do to, to act now because it is becoming very difficult to travel to Cuba because there's blockade, and this is something that will be a life-changer if you ever go. So come and see Cuba for yourself. Now, in closing, we just would like to remind you that Africa on the Move is a community project of the African Wellness Association. You can hear this program every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern time, U.S. We seek to give you, not necessarily maybe what you want, but to try to give you those things that you need. We know that without information, you cannot thank, and without organization, you cannot thank clearly. So we, too, encourage you. If you love your people, if you love Africa, if you want to move humanity forward, The best way, the only way you can do this is through organizations. So we encourage you to join an organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people and to advance humanity. You have a responsibility to do that, and that's the only way you can pay back your debt for those who came before you. So again, this is Brother Africa. This has been Africa on the Move. We look forward to seeing you next time. Same place, same station. Spread the word, and let's keep moving forward, wherever. Dr. novel double, this has Africa on the move. Let's get up and stand up. All right.
15: singing ensemble from North Carolina we are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization black workers for justice Um, we came in from Raleigh North Carolina from Jacksonville North Carolina from Durham um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement but also part of the environmental justice movement too We are with UE 150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio and Machine Workers of America. In our communities we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, Some of us come from communities that have superfund sites in the middle of them some of us are part of organizations environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds that fight that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline which will come through predominantly of color communities of color black and Native American communities um, so we're fighting against that we're fighting against hog farms uh, proliferation in North Carolina and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities.
3: We want to close with a song.
15: So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay, It's called Justice Slowing Down like
1: water
15: family drank from a deep clear well to the house and moved underground now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action justice flowing down like water clean water safe for all justice flowing down like water clean water safe for all
9: justice flowing down like water clean water safe for all justice Justice down like
15: water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well. There's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fisherman. Power plants poisoning you and me. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for
9: all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all.
1: Justice,
9: flowing down like water,
15: clean Clean water, safe for all, clean water, clean water, safe for all. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state.
13: What is the state?
12: The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state entry rule, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to
10: yourselves. You'd be telling each other if there were no police. But the reality is,
12: the police become necessary in human society.
9: Only at that juncture in human society,
13: where it is right between those who have the those who a got. I saw a Molotov cocktail at you know how we think Organize the hood Under i ching banners Red, black, and green Instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us Through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras In the street Like watching society With no respect For the people's right To privacy i take a slug For the cause Like Huey P. While all you fake niggas Try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live Able to have What I need to live Bring the power back To the street Where the people live We sick of working For crumbs And filling up the prisons Dying over money And relying on for help, we do for self like ants in a colony, Organizing, welcome to a socialist economy, a way of life based off the common needs, and all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the a Black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell, cause the world is controlled by the white man, and the people don't never get justice, and the women don't never get respected, and the problems don't never get solved, and the jobs don't never pay enough, so the rent. always be late. Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects. Material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. we tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my raps. It's documented. I Minute. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in once, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution right average black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved and the jobs don't ever pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We're living in a police state
1: If
0: you think of the Middle East in this modern time you can't help but say the word palestine people there have lost their land some have lost their home they live in other countries their freedom almost gone palestine, palestine. Needs, her needs her freedom palestine Needs our love, needs our love Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom Palestine, Palestine, needs Palestine, Palestine, needs our love There seems to be no answer To give us the reason why
16: box.
5: ¿no? La cantera.